Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here, uh, out of the hospital, just starting my uh, long uh, year of rehab. It's going to be crazy, uh, but uh, Word Balloon will not be... uh, you know, affected as long as everything continues to go well, everything's going in the right direction and uh, I'm eating better. And uh, when I do finally reemerge and you'll see me on the convention scene, hopefully you will see a slimmer uh, word balloon host. Uh, that's the intent. I've already lost 13 pounds. I'm very excited about that. I'm eating right. I'm taking the medications they're asking me to take and uh, checking in with the doctors regularly as I get through this process. But don't worry. Thank you very much for your encouragement. Everyone who's written to me, uh, encouraging words both on social media and emails as well. I really, really appreciate it. The League of Word Balloon listeners really stepped up and um, have uh, given their support, and I truly appreciate that. Now, I'm in the midst of a bunch of uh, episodes that I recorded before uh, Christmas, figuring that people might not be, might be difficult to get during Christmas and New Year's. Today is one of those great episodes. It's Tom King. King is back for a new King speech. A uh, great conversation. We certainly talk about uh, the the past Penguin arc that just wrapped up in Batman and uh, talk a bit about uh, Nightmares, that's Night with a K, uh, the current arc that uh, Batman is going through. Now, when I talked, the first issue hadn't come out. There was that teaser at the end of the Penguin story that I thought would immediately like follow into the next series of stories. But instead, we're on a bit of a fever dream with Batman in Nightmares. And uh, Tom previews that as best as he can without giving out any details. But we've already had um, two issues of Nightmares with uh, the last one being Professor Pig. And uh, it's been a very interesting story. And especially coming off the fevered nightmare dreams of Mr. Miracle and what uh, he and Mitch Garretts did for us for 12 issues. Uh, We talk about wrapping up that series. We also get into detail on Tom's work on Superman, which is available exclusively through the Walmart 100-page uh, spectaculars, and uh, Tom's doing those lead stories. I've read the first seven, and they're incredible. Um, it's it's a Superman throughout the universe. Uh, it's 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 excellent, and uh, Tom goes into detail about uh, how he interprets the story. Is it in continuity? Is it not in continuity? Uh, but there's some really great stories and great surprises from both an art standpoint and story standpoint. So we talk about that. Of course, Heroes in Crisis... Another interesting puzzle of a story. What's going on there? Are, are the heroes and villains really dead? Uh, you know, what is Sanctuary all about? We get into some of the mysteries of Heroes in Crisis in this conversation as well. But uh, as always, a fun, breezy conversation with our buddy Tom King on today's Word Balloon. It's brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Again, thank you, League, for your support. Uh, Boy, I'll tell you, man, I I feel like George Bailey every year around the holiday season because uh, so many people just, you know, write in and say, hey, you know, happy holidays and just wish me well and write really nice notes regarding their love of Word Balloon. But uh, really, Lee, thank you very much. Um, I've gotten uh, new uh, people joining. I've also gotten uh, people that have uh, upped their subscriptions via Patreon. Greatly appreciated because uh, I'm not cleared yet for work. And uh, this is where the league is really helping me out. So thank you very much. If you want to subscribe to Word Balloon, it's free. But if you like what I do here and want to help out the cause, you can go to patreon.com slash Word Balloon or click on the Patreon ad on the front page of WordBalloon.com. 
Thank you, League of Word Balloon listeners. Word Balloon is also brought to you by Aftershock Comics, the industry's fastest-growing independent publisher, promoting new and established comics as Reading Dangerously. This year is the year of Reading Dangerously at Aftershock. They have a bunch of brand-new titles that are ready to debut in 2019, things like Stronghold with Phil Hester and Ryan Kelly, Oberon, a new supernatural series by Ryan Parrott. Our buddy Tim Seeley is back with a new series uh, called Dark Red. And uh, a lot more as well. Be sure to check things out um, here at wordballoon.com and on their website. In the weeks ahead, we'll be talking to more Aftershock creators about their books, including many of those names I just mentioned. You don't have to wait, though. You can go to their website. They've got press releases on on a lot of these and links to articles about uh, these new books. And also full story descriptions, preview pages, and the diamond codes on these books and more you can order through your local shop at aftershockcomics.com. All right, let's get into it. Here's our conversation with Tom King, The King's Speech, a brand new edition, recorded before Christmas, but still very relevant with our conversation now on Word Balloon. I'm welcoming Tom King back to Word Balloon. It's, uh, it hasn't been that long, man. I'm, I'm glad that we do this a couple times a year and we want to check in. And uh, man, tons of great books out right now and uh, unbelievable stuff. And uh, big, big uh, shoes are about to drop in Heroes in Crisis and in Batman and... Uh, uh, certainly, uh, you know, the wrap-up of Mr. Miracle was fantastic. And you were kind enough because, as I told you, they don't have Walmarts. They only have one Walmart in near me in the city, and it's a grocery store Walmart. And I've yet to be able to find that DC box of comics. So it's hard for me to find the Walmart DC books, but you were kind enough to kind of help me get up to date with, uh, with Superman. This Walmart thing, well, first of all, Thank you for having me on, John. You you my favorite comic book podcast is every time, but you should support this this comic book podcast just so I can keep listening to it. All of you listeners out there, I listen okay. to every episode. I love this podcast, so it's a pleasure being on. I look forward to it. I want to talk old comics and new comics. I want to talk everything. Excellent, man. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm ready for a nice marathon conversation. If you are very cool, Sweet. so so honestly, man, I'm loving this Superman story. Uh, <laughs> and, and is it Adam Kubert or Andy? Andy. It's Andy. Okay. Adam is at Marvel. Andy is at DC. They're two warring brothers. It's like the Civil War. They're brothers on both sides. and they Man. Each other. Brother against brother. Oh, my brother God. Brother against brother. Well, first of all, the latest issue with the Sergeant Rock story was just fantastic. That's if- not out for another two months, but oh. we can talk about it. We can, you know, the best thing about the <laughs> Superman stories... That's what I wanted to say to you. I was so proud of that Sergeant Rock story. I, I wrote to my editor because I had to send him to PDF, and I was like, I want everything, including the stupid Sergeant Rock, which hasn't been in color yet. Uh, I was like, I, I'm so proud of this story. You should be, so, honestly. It sounds like a Sergeant Rock story, and obviously Andy you know, can make it look like uh, you know, it's still his style, but certainly you can see his father's influence in there, and the great Joe Kubert. No, it's great, and I just love – this idea of Superman traveling through the cosmos and now traveling through time as well. Yeah, <laughs> that story in particular, the, the rock one was super funny because we were at a, um, God, I go to, I went to 14 cons last year, so I'm going to get them all wow. confused, but they were, we were at some, I didn't mean to go to that many cons. Somehow just my life tumbled out of control that way, which is pretty fairly typical of me these days. But, uh, we were at some con I was with, and I think it was in Toronto and I was with Andy, who I'm very intimidated by, by the way, um, because he's he was my he's been my favorite one of my favorite artists for 20 years or something, and now I'm working with him, and he's still insanely amazing. And um, and he knows, and he's not only is he one of the great artists in 
the history of comics. His dad is one of the inventors of the medium. Yes. And he's not shy about that. He like he's one of these guys who's not like, I want to defeat my father. He's one of these guys who's like, I embrace my father. He was my best friend. He taught me everything. He loves telling stories about his dad and stuff. And um and on top of that, he teaches at the premier school for comics. He he's one of the you know founders basically of that school and teaches there. So he knows everything about everything about comic books. So he's just incredibly intimidating. And also, he's the most laid back guy in the world. He's like he's from Jersey, but he's like a California dude, surf dude. <laughs> I I oh. no, I agree with you. His body of work is amazing, and uh, I knew that he obviously was teaching at the Kubert School as well. Um, but this story is so great because. Um, I, I think some people fear writing Superman because he's so all-powerful in in certain creators' hands. But this story through the cosmos, he's getting the shit kicked out of him. And that's fine. <laughs> that's good. No, that's awesome, man. I mean, it should be. I mean, God, when, you know, uh, really, he's bouncing around the cosmos. And, you know, we'll talk about the boxing issue. But, uh, again, people, when you, see, when you see this cube, I don't want to even spoil the rock story. But it's... It's fantastic, and just, yeah, there's all these just dramatic shots of a wounded Superman, to say the least, or in some cases, like in the boxing issue, you know, he's getting the shit kicked out of him, frankly, and it's very, very cool. I love, I, I love everything. So, so where are you? What has been released? Well, um, if you've, up to the alien story. Where he's um, making the call back home to Lois? No, the one before that, the one where the, the healer, the alien healer, the Star Trek one. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, that's the one that comes out next, I think, this weekend. Okay, so, okay. Yeah, but, but, but the good look, the wonderful thing about Walmart, the, the horribleness of the Walmart thing is the same thing that's the best part about the Walmart thing. The horribleness is nobody reads it, it is screaming into the void because these, these comics are so hard to find. Um, it, you know. Bless DC for trying to reach out into different markets, and uh, and and I, I incredibly approve of them sort of trying to get comics on a newsstand where a dad can just pay five bucks. And there's a beautiful package; it's a hundred pages of comics, twelve. Yeah. And and for five bucks, you go there, you th- you know, you throw it at your kid, and they read. It's one; it's a wonderful package. But they're super hard to find. Even if even if you can get into a Walmart, they're hard to find in the Walmart. Even if you can find the shelf they're on, they're hard to find in the shelf. And then they might not even be there because someone already bought them. So like, it's it, that's the terrible part of it. And and of course, you know, comics are an international medium at this point. Uh, we have just as many readers overseas as we do in the U.S. Basically, and because they're, these comics aren't digital. People in Canada and Canada, obviously not that far overseas, but people, <laughs> people in uh, the UK, Australia, around the world can't read these comics at all. So it's, just, it's, it's a very small audience. But because of that, I can do whatever the fuck I want. <laughs> <laughs> that that comes through, man. No, it's it's this, and I know Brian's doing the same thing with his Batman story, where he's just tra- uh, Batman's just traveling along the DC universe trying to crack a mystery. Um, but yeah, this thing, good Lord. I mean, you know, he's with Adam strange and, and Zaredith and, uh, you know, I, I don't want to spoil, like I said, I mean, I, I, I wasn't sure after you said that the Sergeant Rockwell was open, but I mean, there's, there's great cameos of, of recognizable aliens, uh, that are very funny, very, very Douglas Adams hitchhiker's guide in, in, in one case. Um, yeah, man, no, I, th- I think it's a terrific story. And of course it's also very grounded and there's stuff happening in Metropolis. Um, it's it's great. Honestly, I love it. I imagine that eventually 
they're going to collect these things and put them out in the direct market. They almost have to, I would think. I feel like we're not allowed to say whether or not they are okay. because we want everyone to go to Walmart and sure. buy them so that Walmart orders more of them. Sure. So if, if you're out there in the audience – Go out there and buy them at Walmart so Walmart orders more of them. But if you logically think about it, I think there's a fairly good chance that they'll collect them at some point. I understand. I, uh, uh, and this is a 12-issue story, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a 12-issue story. I mean, the, the basic, I mean, there's a basic premise of the story, which is kind of just we hang things on, which is he's a girl got kidnapped and went into space, and he's chasing the girl. But that's just like it's a way to hang 12 individual short stories that are all 12 pages long. Um, drawn by Andy, written by me. So basically what I say is like every once a month, I take a break from continuity, I close my eyes and say, if I could tell any Superman story in the world and do it with one of the best artists in comics, what would I do? And then I just do it. And it's it's very pleasing. No, the planet scenes are great. And uh, I, you know, I, I loved Lois and Clark kind of going over uh, the classic Lois, uh, you know, how many, how, how many peas in proliferation? One, you know, things like that. <laughs> And it was just this great alphabet list of words, and it's like, you know, how about this? Two, one, okay. Uh, and are they married in this? Because it's kind of they could be or they couldn't. Be. You know, I mean, there's, they're definitely close. And and it, are they married in this one? In the story? I don't spe- specify whether they're married or not. They're together, and she she, she knows. knows she knows he's Clark Kent Superman. So that's okay. that, that that's that much. But I don't specify whether they're married. I never talk about John. Never talk about the son. Right, right, and and the first one, the the father, Pa's still alive, uh, which he hasn't been in continuity alive for twenty five wow. years. Yeah, well, uh, well, well and, wasn't and, it? and wasn't before that either. He was just alive during John Byrne era, which was my childhood. So I brought him back alive again. Uh, wow. So, but but you could you could read that scene as maybe happening in the Fortress of Solitude, and it's some crystal magic if you want to read it that way. So you can read it in continuity. Well, Jor-El makes a nice cameo, and it's that classic uh, Silver Age design of Jor-El with the headband and everything and the green and That's, gold suit, green, red, and gold yeah, suit. So, yeah, I mean, that is the most fun. Yeah, so we did an issue that was, I did like, I was like, what if Superman met Star Trek? So I did a Star Trek issue. I was like, what if, you know, there's like a classic moral dilemma that has to get solved by the end. And, and I did an issue, you know, I did, it, well, the Sergeant Rock thing, like I said, I was at dinner with, with um, Andy... Uh, Pete Tomasi and Dan DiDio and they're like they're these huge all three of them and me we're all Bronze Age fans that's like sure, just like sure. absolutely and we're just going over all the stuff we loved and Andy was talking about his dad working in those days and all the, the art he loved and, and I, was, I was like well, what do you want to do for next Superman thing whatever you want I don't care what it is he's, he's like, he's like, and, and he's like I want to do a Sergeant Rock as a tribute to my dad but, but he's like but we can't do that because we're in space I was like ah fuck that <laughs> <laughs> he's like well the sergeant rock meets superman we'll find a way stories we'll make hey man and... that was all that was totally brave and bold bob haney yeah fuck continuity man yes. i'm doing a story where batman and sergeant rock are hanging out we haneyed the crap out of it is what we did we it's... i'm gonna turn haney into a verb it's when you solve a problem <laughs> no it, it made sense it was fine and you explain like how how he wound up to meet Sergeant Rock and everything. It worked again. It's it's anything can happen, and it's that kind of universe. And the way he's bouncing around uh, the cosmos right now, why not? It's uh, no, I, I loved it. I and also, um, I yeah, I just all the like I said, all the cameos that are happening in these stories are just uh, fantastic. So um, well, let's let's talk about the boxing issue. 
because that was <laughs> well, you know me, man. I'm, I'm a huge boxing fan, and um, again, one of the great Bronze Age uh, comic books, Superman yes. versus Muhammad Ali. Which, in addition to Superman and Ali fighting, there is an alien boxing match as well. Um, you know, I mean, no, that was perfect, and and truly. God, it was it was great action filled. I loved the pacing of the story, that it was uh, each page was round by round. Um, yeah, it was honestly, man. I uh, you know it's funny you were saying off the air that you're not that big of a fight fan, a boxing fan. Well, there's, I mean, there's in in the midst of all this, the fun I'm having on the issue, I'm doing a storytelling weirdness to it, um, which every single page of all twelve issues of all twelve things is a new scene. So every page is a contained scene. Wow. So every time you turn the page, there's a time jump. Um, I'm just – I've played with that before in a lot of short stories I've done. And when you're doing with, dealing with only 12 pages to tell a complete story, it helps you to do that. So I'm trying to almost see if I can do it through a whole series and see how that works. Um, so, yeah. So, th- so I was discussing this with my wife and I was like, well, you know, we'll have – by the time I get into the story, I'll do like you know eight rounds. I said, no, no, you have 12 pages. Do 12 rounds. Totally. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, that's how we'll do it. That makes sense. So, yeah, so we just did one page for each round. And, uh, yeah, yeah, it, it was, it was, a, it was, you know what, I, what I'm doing now? I, I just started, I, I got, um, I, I went to Neil Adams at a con and I got a print of the originals of that, of the famous cover. Yes. Um, the Superman Muhammad Ali cover. And, and of course, the background is, you know, there's probably, what, like a hundred, identifiable people maybe more who yes are there. all the cameos of people in the stands watching the fight yes yes and so what i'm what i'm currently collecting if you see me at your con you'll see me running around doing this is i'm getting the signatures of anyone who's who's drawn in that in that uh background oh that's right because there were dc creators that are in the in the scene as well yes and it's from 78 which is kind of when i was born it's not actually it's actually when i was born but don't tell the people in hollywood they think i'm younger than i am uh <laughs> So if you, if you listen to me, it's sort of like the start of things for me. So, yeah, so and, – and, you know, like half the creators have passed away, sadly, but half of them are still around. And it's really fun. So, you, you know, you, you, you bring it to, to Larry Hama and, you know, he says, oh, yeah, there I am with this long hair. And he tells you a story <laughs> about, about working in Neil's studio back in the day and what, what a bunch of drunks they were. <laughs> and, uh, you know, then you bring it to John Workman. He talks bad about Larry Hama. And you just think, you know, like <laughs> – like all the people that are there looking super young and cool, like they identify themselves and they tell you stories. And it's like my new obsession is this getting all these signatures as I can on this. That's a great idea. Well, and also then the real celebrities. First of all, I know too that there's, I know Neil did the final cover, but originally it was Joe Kubert, as I understand. Yeah. Was Kubert, do the cover. Kubert did it first. Apparently, um, um, uh, Ali wanted, um, uh, not, uh, sh- Ugh, I'm forgetting the other guy, but he didn't want either of them. They gave him like all the best DC artists, and he picked like a crap, not a crappy one, but like a generic one, and made a talk him out of it. Um, I, I'm sure the, the comic fans and artists know who I'm talking about, so I won't mention my name. But then, um, yeah, Joe designed it, and then Neil drew it in. But he didn't. The, all the faces are from Neil. Um, okay. Neil Neil still has the original art, but I'm told it's a. His family told me it's a, like it's all folded and a little little messy but it's still it still hangs on their wall somewhere. funny oh my god well and then you get these great stories like you know they they approach celebrities to be on the cover and some said no so like john wayne is on the cover and you could tell it's john wayne but they had to throw a mustache on him to kind of you yeah. know uh, cover the fact that it's not john wayne basically 
And Brando asked for three grand to be donated to a Native American charity. <laughs> and cheap ass DC said no. Wow. So, Crazy. So, so on the cover, the Brando was was already drawn in the cover because I think Neil thought he was going to say yes, and so they 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 drew Kurt Vonnegut's face over <laughs> over Brando. Hilarious! Like, Kurt Vonnegut is so prominent on there. Oh my god! And then also yeah. like the Welcome Back Carter cast is there, and Lucille Ball is there. You know, and uh, then of course uh, Batman and Luther are obvious, even though their ba- their heads are turned away. But you could tell obviously that they're in the audience as well. I no, honestly, this whole motif of Superman. Oh, but, but, Go ahead. But Luther, Luther is um, is Telly Savalas. If you look at him, because it's his his and but he's 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 holding his hand up in this sort of weird way because he had a lollipop. But Telly Savalas wouldn't sign on, so he took the lollipop away and just said it was Luther. Oh, because I thought there's like a bald head next to Batman's where you can't see the face, and right. I assume that was Luther. But no, okay, that's and there's another celebrity that said no. That's cool. I uh, even <laughs> prior even I'm prior to Superman versus Muhammad Ali. If you go back to the Silver Age, it's more of a bare knuckle fight, but there's that great Kurt Swan cover of that world where Luther is considered a hero. Yeah, I know. Is it Lexor? I can't even remember. I think it's Lexor. And uh and yeah, and they you know it's under a red sun and he and Superman just have this like fist fight and again, Superman gets the shit kicked out of him. <laughs> and it's great. It's this amazing, you know, like I said, Kurt Swan cover and he's got a black eye and just looks like Helen's and Luther is beating him down. Uh, It's very interesting. So I do kind of love whenever, you know, and honestly, I think those are really probably the only three times that Superman is really like in a boxing sort of motif. But, but I mean, they're, they're really great. And I truly, so was it your thought to pay, pay homage to, uh, to the Superman Ali thing? It was, I mean, yes and no, because I was actually paying homage to an old uh, Tom DeFalco Marvel 2 and 1 Annual 7. I think I might be talking about one of my favorite comics of all time where uh, The Thing has a boxing match. Have you read the read this comic? No, i got to find this. Fantastic. Oh, it is one of the great comics of all time. The um, One of the elders of the universe, whatever the, the fighter elder, the champion is called, the champion. Ugh, I'm so old, I have to talk my brain into these names that I used to have in my top <laughs> Uh, the cha- the champion comes to Earth and he's like, "I'm gonna destroy Earth unless one of your to- one of your strong men can defeat me." And so then he like he takes all the strongest characters in the Marvel universe, <laughs> all the people tuned in for Tom King to summarize old comics. Well, we said, no, no, we said we were going to talk old comics. This is good. Uh, so he he takes um, all the strongest characters from all over the marvel universe sasquatch is there hulk is there uh, colossus is there and lines them up and says you know whoever can one of you has to defeat me or else i destroy the earth not unlike the muhammad ali issue uh and he, he, he goes through all of them one by one and one by one and they all get immediately kicks the crap out of them he's like thanos level powerful <laughs> Like, you know, he's like, Hulk, you're just, Hulk tears off his boxing gloves. He's like, oh, you're just an animal. Get out of here. And, you know, he immediately just, he just kicks everyone's ass. And then um, Ben Grimm is last to come. And he gets in the ring and he starts fighting. And, uh, and, and he, again, he gets, to, Ben Grimm gets the crap kicked out of him. But unlike the others, he gets up off the floor. 
and then he hits him again and he's and he, and he keeps fighting him and, and, and then and then he's like okay i defeat you i'm gonna blow up your planet bingham gets off the floor again and then he just looks at me goes and he goes how can you still be fighting and he's, he's he's like i'm too ugly to quit which is the best line in the history of comics <laughs> it's drawn by ron wilson and uh i have a ron wilson thing sketch up on my wall and so um and and then the, the because it's a wonderful comic book the champion said he lasts one round and he goes and he, and he goes and he goes okay you lasted one round with me your whole planet is saved and uh, and he goes off and, and then and then and as, you know as he's leaving you know thing is still he's like still in the corner he's like well I would have gone round two and then he falls and collapses and <laughs> man I loved Marvel two and one truly and isn't it weird I remember when Slot had the thing his a thing solo book and it is so strange how tastes change. Because certainly in the late 70s into the early 80s with two in one, like the thing was such a popular character and it totally made sense that he had a solo series. And God, I remember one of my favorite, I think it was a John Byrne issue where uh, he faces an earlier version of himself, more of like Fantastic Four year one version of the thing. Yeah. And he's more more lumpy and not as, you know, rock looking. It's more of like, you know, kind of mud looking uh, thing. And I just, oh, I love that, you know, and just and he was, you know, saying shit like bah. And things like that, and and uh, and at one point the thing is thinking to himself, and he's like, "God, did I really used to talk like that?" Jesus. <laughs> so no, I love the thing, man, and it's uh, and I was really happy when Bendis put him in the Avengers, and wish there were more thing scenes in there because yeah, I think the thing's awesome, and I I always tell Brian my favorite thing encounters are when he fights Doctor Doom because literally it's the two guys from college. That were absolutely on opposite sides of the campus and and the co- college culture, and they both hate each other. And I love that uh, Ben calls Doom uh, Vic. Yeah, and 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 you know, and it really, you know, the subtext is, you know, and I and I, it's my show, so I'll swear. It's like fuck you, Vic. You're still that. You're still <laughs> yes, that nerdy, yes. that nerdy little jerk that was, you know, hated Reed. And I am not impressed with you. And by the same token, it's fuck you, Grim. Uh, you're that big man on campus. You're you know you're a joke, and you never impressed me at school, and you certainly don't impress me now. And it's they have that kind of relationship that just cuts through all the intellect, and it really is just like two college kids that absolutely hated each other. And I love that. I think that's fantastic. So oh, Ben Grimm is one of the best characters in the history of comics. When I was a, almost went to Marvel before I got Batman. Right before I got Batman, or in the middle of—I don't know—at some point, I, I I got very close to writing a, a Fantastic Four book, and I was—it was, it tore me to not be able to write that. I had that's such a good idea too. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, as, as we've seen with Bendis, never say never, and you know, decades from say. now, you, you never know when you know you might wind up back at Marvel, and you know, you've made your mark with the Vision, and you know, it's uh, yeah, you know, it's okay. <laughs> So no, when, great when AT and T buys Disney and it's all one big company, I'll get to. <laughs> <laughs> As you know, almost happened in the nineties when, when when Marvel was on its knees and everyone was like, "Wow, is DC going to buy you know the Marvel IP?" And you know, is Spider Man suddenly going to be in the Justice League or something like that? Could that actually happen? <laughs> so I remember well. I remember Harlan Ellison on the Sci Fi Channel. He used to do editorials or commentaries, yeah. and he was just like like beside himself, depressed. And he's like, you know, Marvel is, you know, hanging by a thread and it might go away. And, uh, you know, don't be surprised if DC picks up the characters. And I'm just like, oh, my God. So, yeah, it was it was shocking stuff to hear back then. I was kind of out of comics. It was Kevin Smith's Daredevil and things like that that kind of brought me back to comics back in, you know, 98, 99, Marvel Knights. 
really kind of brought me back to comics. So crazy. I was reading, you know, when Sinatra, uh, when, um, I, I was I was reading the uh, Frank Sinatra has a cold, the famous essay by Gay Talese. Indeed, love it, Esquire. Great, right, great Esquire. piece. Yeah, one of the like sort of the best essays in the history of essays. Totally. Um, but you, you, I'm sure you know this, but for the audience, one of the cool things about that is uh, there's a he, the whole thing is like he 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 wanted to interview Sinatra and Sinatra would not give him an interview, so he he wrote this. He kept Sinatra kept saying, "I have a cold, so I can't interview." So so he wrote this whole piece about Sinatra without ever actually interviewing him. And one of the things he writes about is witnessing Sinatra almost get in a fight with a guy in a bar, and it was this early '60s or something. And the guy in the bar is Harlan Ellison. Yeah, yeah. And you're that's like, right. what? That's, it blows your mind that you're like, I've been on stages with that guy, and he almost got in a fight with Sinatra. That's yep. insane. Uh, um, while, we're on, while we're on the Sinatra subject, briefly, uh, great documentary that came out this year, Sinatra in Palm Springs. Highly I haven't seen it. Unbelievable photographs, and everyone that's alive that you know knew Sinatra because he, you know, he had a home over there, and um, yeah, of course, obviously, like you know. Uh, was at all the bars and restaurants that he loved. All these people that were in Sinatra's life in Palm Springs. It's fascinating. It's fantastic. And he had three different homes. And in fact, uh, you can, I don't know if it's Airbnb or if it's just privately rented, but you can, I know one of the uh, homes you can rent and stay at Sinatra's home. I'm sure it's ridiculous to do it. But uh, it was really cool. He also had a recording equipment, uh, like 50s and 60s recording equipment in the house. So if he wanted to cut a demo or something like that, he could he could do it right there. So like a home studio back then, you know, pretty amazing stuff. So yeah, it's it's amazing, fantastic documentary. Sinatra in Palm Springs, everybody. Where where what, what's where does it stream? Where is it? You know, I saw it on demand uh, at uh, in a in a hotel. I was at uh, Terrificon in Connecticut, Mohegan Sun. You and- nerd! You're at Terrificon watching Sinatra doc. You are my best friend, John. <laughs> Just you know, so you know, you just got elevated. Well, and also, you know, I mean, I'm working these stupid overnights uh, in radio, so I'm up all all different hours. And yeah, I mean, I like, you know, I was beat from the con, so I fell asleep probably like at 10. And then at like 1 a.m., bong, up, cannot fall asleep. So I'm like, all right, I'll rent a movie. And I'll, I almost re-rented Infinity War and almost re-rented Black Panther and all that stuff, and I'm just kind of dialing around. And like to rent those, it was like you know almost twenty bucks. I'm like, I'm not going to spend twenty bucks. That's ridiculous. But then I saw for ten bucks Sinatra in Palm Springs. I'm like, oh, I'm all over that. And uh, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know where if it's streaming because it may still be in um, festivals. I'm not really sure. But man, even Barbara's in it before she passed away. Barbara Sinatra. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's pretty cool, man. Very very cool. Can't can't recommend it enough. All right, back to your comics. I so, was at. Um, oh, so go. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, already, we're already tangentializing into old nothingness. So. This is what I love, man. What are you talking about? We can go on about Bing Crosby in a couple hours. You know that. But go ahead. Ah, dude, I go <laughs> it's the Christmas season. My house is nothing but Bing Crosby. Beautiful. So, uh, I, uh, um, so I, I was at the – I did a bunch of Hollywood stuff. We can talk about that too. I'll give you a vague oh, notion of what it's like to live the Hollywood life. But I got to live the Hollywood life for uh, – a few weeks this year and the last time i was out there i was up they put me up at the beverly hills hotel which is like i i grew up in la i lived my first 18 years of my life in los angeles in west la with my mother a studio executive yes. and i saw more movie stars in two days than i'd seen in my entire life uh, at, at the this, hotel at this day 
at the Beverly Hills Hotel, if you see it, it's got this kind of iconic front. Now, now it's all owned yeah. by like the Saudi royal family. But, it, but you know, it was. I mean, this was the place that you know, um, like every screenplay in the '40s was written. You know, mobsters. It's also the place that Trump had his affair with Stony da- Tony Stony Stormy Daniels. Okay, oh, like I said, so it's it's like it's full of crazy um, slimy history. Oh yeah. Oh no, that's great. I think Robert Evans might have been discovered there at the pool. Yeah, so I went out to the pool, and they've kept the pool, so it looks just like it did in like 1959. Wow! And it is the, it was it was the most transcendent moment of I just went out there and I was all by myself, and I'm standing by this pool, and you can just feel like you can just feel the cigarette smoke of like Sinatra yelling at some <laughs> uh, poor pool boy they didn't come fast enough, and uh, it uh, it was I. It felt so much a part of that old sort of Hollywood scene. It was it was amazing. That's fantastic, man! Jesus, that's wonderful. Oh my yeah. god! It was. I was at the bar. I was sitting next. To, I was like. I was between at the bar. I was between the movie star I'm doing the TV show with, and on the other side of me at the bar was Benedict Cumberbatch. Wow! So I was like, I was, I was with Doctor Strange, and, and and between my movie star and the and Doctor Strange, I was like, <laughs> what fucking life am I living right now? That's fantastic. Did you like? Did you get the nerve to talk to him or no? He was ta- he was taught this was like a place that people met with agents. I didn't I was sitting next to Courtney Cox at breakfast. I ran into wow. I, I ran into Mel Gibson in the bathroom. Now I know Mel Gibson is a horrible human being as is Frank Sinatra, but it was all it was still odd to see him in the bathroom. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure it was. It oh was like God. one of those Looney Tunes cartoons. I thought yes. Bugs funny would come out with Jimmy Stewart at some point and start making jokes. <laughs> it was the craziest thing that ever happened to me. Uh, that's, that's wonderful, man. That's fantastic. Yes. No, yes. That, Tom King's journeys into Hollywood will be in my memoirs. That's journeys beautiful, back. man. No, and you're right, man. I mean, I, uh, 1982, I had this amazing uh, summer vacation in, in uh, Hollywood, and I met a bunch of celebrities. We got to go to the Bob Hope Desert Classic. <laughs> so, yeah, the golf the golf tournament. And so we met Jack Lemmon and... Uh, I'm trying to remember the other like Ernie Banks was there from the Chicago Cubs and he was very happy to see Chicago people and stuff. Of course. But yeah, Jack Jacqueline was probably the biggest celebrity at that. But then I went to Dan Tana's and we had and we had dinner there and we met Rita Moreno. And this <laughs> oh, that's is 19, cool. Yeah, nineteen eighty two Rita Moreno. And uh and she was very sweet and in fact she's like, How old are you? I'm like seventeen. She's like, Let me give you a thrill. She grabbed my head and she kissed me. Oh I know. It's insane. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> Thank you. Cumberbatch did the same thing to me. So we have something in common now. <laughs> Let me give you a thrill. That's beautiful, man. Sherlock. <laughs> he's, just like, he's just like, God. He's like, kiss me. It's like, yeah, it doesn't work, man. I still don't buy it. Hilarious, man. You're killing me. Um, well, let's talk about Batman because uh, big things are happening. You know, uh, the last issue reminded me very much of the Bond prelude to uh, Diamonds Are Forever. Where he's just slugging, where is he? Where's Ernst Stavros <laughs> Blofeld? And he's just punching and decking people left and right because he needs to find the man that killed Tracy Bond. And it's so great. And he's just so, you know, on this mission. And, you know, we do. We get this, like, little, like, walk through the, the rogues. A lot, of, a lot of rogues that maybe we haven't seen in a while, like Maxi Zeus and, and the like. But uh, first of all, it's, it was uh, Michael Jannon, right, who uh, drew it? Yes, um... It was it was it was Michael. Yes, that drew most of it, um, and uh, yeah, and, and I've been working with Mikkel. It's it's oh, so it's my Is my Mikhail editor Jenny? finally met him. 
It's so hard. It's Mikel Hanin. It's Hanin. like okay, yeah, sure. Like a little Hebrewish Hanin. I'm with you. No, no, okay. Uh, yeah, I want. I always want to say it properly. So, Michael Jannon. I've been doing? saying Michael Jannon for a long time, and I he's also the most polite person in the history of comics. So he would not mind um, if you pronounce his name wrong. But just I should try. I should at least try to pronounce it the correct way. Well, I'm always uh, happy when he shows up in your runs, and um, and, then, and then so he did two thirds of the art, and Jorge Fornes, I'm probably pronouncing his name wrong, even though I've met Jorge, uh, did all the Batman scenes. So Mikel, oh, did, okay, Mikel did the um, Gordon scenes and the Alfred scenes, and Jorge, who this is his, this is his DC Comics debut, and he is going to be the next big thing. I He's can like, tell. Well, Say yeah. his name again. Say his name again. Jorge Fornes. He's a Spanish artist, just like okay. Mikel. Well, uh, it, it was the Jorge, it was the Jorge Fornes scenes that really knocked me out because he was channeling Magic Kelly. Oh yeah, he's like he's like Magic Kelly meets Alex Toth. This guy is like yes. Um, yeah, I'm doing another issue with him. He's coming on for sixty six, I believe, and uh, and then I'm never going to let him go because he's. I understand. He's, he's going to be everyone's favorite bad artist by the end of my run. Oh my god! Seriously, man. That's, I mean, truly taking nothing away from Mikel and, and Mitch and, and everyone else that, you know, uh, help, has done various arcs with you, Joel and everybody. But I, Jesus, man, like I said, I'm like, this reminds me so much of Batman Year One in the best possible way. And I think you're right to even include the, the Alex Toth influence as well as Mazzucchelli. It's, oh my God, I really, I was just like, this is Batman. This is fantastic. So, Great debut, and yeah, it will not surprise me within you know the next six months that everybody's talking about this guy because it was fantastic. And he's doing he's 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 all the sound effects are on the board, like he's doing those. So that's that's why if you look at his pages, the sound effects do all sorts of weird things to help tell the story. Yeah, the dude's a guy. It's yeah, it's. It, I was incredibly happy that he agreed to come on the book, and then he agreed to do another issue. So yeah, we're doing a thing with uh, we're gonna do a little noir issue with uh, the question and Batman coming up. In oh, season. great. Fantastic! As, as Batman's trying to get closer and closer to find out what the hell's happening in Arkham. Um, yes. So that starts. So you. So you. So but basically, sorry to back it up a little bit, but no, no. Um, uh, in issue fifty, they didn't get married. Spoilers. Of course. Yes, indeed. That's the last time we spoke. The last time we spoke. Yes. Um, people are still a little upset. I get. Once or twice a day, I get this. I get this one. I get this Twitter, and I'm grateful for it every time. I'm not complaining, but I get this Twitter where someone tweets at me and they say, "Tom, everyone I know hates you, but I defend you." (laughs) And I say, "Wow, I thank you, thank you for letting me know. That's very nice of you, and also you've crushed my soul." Exactly. Uh, So I. So we had the we had the Mister Freeze arc before the Penguin arc, of course. We had the Mister. So basically, um, uh, uh, fifty through sixty was one kind of in my head was one kind of complete arc called in my head it's called Cold Days, uh, which is the name of the first arc, and that's sort of the Batman responding to the wedding and slowly starting to fall apart. Yes, and that that culminates in this, like you said, in this issue where he's just out of control. And he's just beating up people and beating up people, <laughs> and like he, he, there's no detective left to him. He's just a guy with, he's just crushing his fists into people looking for information because his brain is not where it should be, um, because basically he's emotionally broken, and that 
that takes us to the end of 60, which has this big reveal at the end. Yes, indeed. Um, of sort of Batman. And then, and then what, what starts next is the next arc, the next sort of 10 issues, um, something called nightmares with a K because if you use the word night in Batman, it has to be K'd. Of course. Uh, and that is the sort of slow, um, I have to be vague about it because it's not out yet, but that, that, that's the psychological sort of peeling away of, of, of Batman. And, and, and what it is, it's a series of one shots. It's six one shots because there's two issues off for a flash crossover that Josh is writing. Right, right. Um, Josh, I, I, again, this, we'll, we'll get back to it, but I had to do the, for the Hollywood thing, I had to write this pilot and I needed two weeks off. And Josh was nice enough to come in and give me two weeks off by writing two issues. Josh Williamson. Yes, indeed. Uh, one of the great writers in comics and also just one of the great people in comics. Incredible flash run. And I, each time I have somebody on and we mention Josh, I, I remind, I'm reminded that it's like, dude, what are you waiting for? Get him on the goddamn show. And I know he'll do it. In fact, one of the times I saw him was with you, I think in San Diego back in 17. And he's like, when are we going to be on War Balloon? And I'm like, Josh, I totally want you on War Balloon. I wanted you on War Balloon back when you were doing Captain Midnight at Dark Horse, for God's sake. So you know how it is. I mean, you, you suddenly you look up and it's been three years. I just today I talked to Chris Iliopoulos. Haven't talked to him in a couple of years. And, you know, every time oh. I talk to Meltzer, it's like, yeah, I got to get Chris back and everything. So, you know, it, again, please, it's a, it's a great problem to have. Don't don't get me wrong. But uh, I'm, I'm pleased that people want to be on Word Balloon. And, and certainly eventually Josh and I will have a wonderful flash conversation and talk about things like the button, uh, that wonderful uh, doomsday clock tie in. That uh, you told me he did most of the heavy lifting on that story. Uh, <laughs> he did, yeah. So. But you, it, there are very few people who know more about comics and are as passionate about comics as Josh Williamson. So you, he'd be a good person to talk to. Excellent, man. No, I'm looking uh, forward to it. Well, I'm excited because we're putting this out after 61 comes out. So, I mean, as we're recording, it's coming out tomorrow. And I told you uh, before we started recording, hey, spoil away because. Uh, I loved the way 60 ended. First of all, I loved uh, Alfred and, and Penguin's uh, scenes in 60 in, in particular. <laughs> you know, yeah, hilarious. I mean, you know, with the sardines and him kind of tempting him with the sardines and everything. Penguin in the cage and everything. Oh, man, there's no character that's more fun to write in comics than Alfred. He is just the best. He's just this catty asshole who hides behind you know, this posh atmosphere, but he's just constantly insulting you as he talks. Yep. <laughs> like every sentence Alfred said is like a cutting remark to your soul. He, he would be the one to be like, Oh, Batman. Oh, I, uh, all my friends hate you, but you're my best. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Aren't we getting an Alfred uh, prequel soon? An Alfred what? Aren't they doing it like early, early years of Alfred story? Oh yeah. Of something in the works. Yeah. Big TV shows can be Alfred story. I think there's going to be a lot of Alfred center material. Um, oh, is it yeah. DC universe thing? I don't know what it is. Don't ask me. Why you ask me okay. the hard questions? John? I understand. I understand. What are you, Alan Arkin? Why are you asking me this? Why am I, why I, would I know I, these things? I gave you my list in advance. You're only supposed to ask me how great I am and why I'm so great. <laughs> so that's what we agreed to. I understand. Uh, yes, and then Penguin. Well, the mo- the most thing I wanted to get to the fact that Penguin had been having this um, uh, romance, at least in his head, with a penguin, with an actual penguin. Yikes! <laughs> that was that was the big reveal in the Alfred Penguin scene. <laughs> and then that final page, and I will say because again, it's been out for two weeks now. Yes, you can. Um, so, uh, God, you know, Batman comes back to the Batcave. Alfred is bloodied, and and apparently the penguin has been sprung free. And it's he's here. Who's here? Your father. 
And of course, it's Flashpoint Batman, Thomas Wayne as Batman. And that ever since that that great reveal in uh, in issue fifty, where you see uh, it's you know that's the Zapruder film moment of your of your run so far, where it's like okay, all of these characters, it's all been one story and all one big plan by Bane all along, and and to see Thomas Wayne as part of that plan. And I know you know they had the conversation prior to that of don't be Batman, do your you know if you want to help me, you know if you want to do right by me, don't be Batman, have a family, stop being Batman, be right have a life so yeah i'm looking forward to this conversation that is in issue 61 so tell me what you want to about about uh and that's the first issue of nightmares correct right so that conversation doesn't happen for a little while oh no why it doesn't happen is the mystery of nightmares um well what what happens next is is you you're you're put into a completely different um batman finds himself in a completely different situation and he doesn't know why and he doesn't know how he got there and what happened. And it's part of his being sort of torn apart. It's hard to talk about it sort of tangentially. But again, it's a, and it's a series of one shots by the artists on it are going to be um, Travis Moore starts it off. We did an issue 38 together. And then it's Mitch Garrett who did Mr. Miracle with me, who's the yep. best, my favorite artist in comics. Um, and Mikkel does an issue. And then we had the flash break. And then Jorge, we just talked about, does an issue. Amanda Connor is going to do an issue. Great. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it's, it's an amazing, it's an amazing lineup. Well, I'm excited, man. No, it's, uh, it's been in, uh, you know, continues to be an intriguing run and, um, Oh yeah. Yannick Paquette does the final. Oh, sorry. His name. Who does the final? Yannick, uh, Yannick, oh, Yannick, Paquette. Yannick Paquette. Yannick okay. Paquette. Yeah. I'm with you. Okay. You know, again, let's get our proper uh, pronunciations. Yvonne yes, Ace, I've learned instead of Ivan uh, Rice. Oh, my yeah. God, I know nothing. Well, I'm Tom Kin, and everyone gets it wrong. <laughs> I'm like, that's it's, Tom, dang it. <laughs> it's uh, like that Python bit. It's spelled Raymond Luxury well, uh, Yacht, but it's uh, pronounced Throat Wobbler Mangrove. Well, this, well I work with Clay. With Clay Ma- I always say Clay, Clay Man, Man, but you, you pron- he has got two N's in his name, and you pronounce the second N, so it's Clay Manon. Manon. Oh, really? It's like Manon? Oh, interesting. Yeah, like Ma- I know it's hard to say. Manon. <laughs> That's like in um, something about Mary when Ben Stiller's like you're not going back with that Brett. Yeah, Favre. Brett Favre. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. If you if you if you see Clay the just just make call, he, he's 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 can be t- touchy, so you should just call him Clay Man and then it does get mad. <laughs> or any other brother, so he can be Seth Man and then Clay Man and That's fantastic, man! I had no idea. That's wonderful. Yeah, he's he's, he's a weird guy. It's a good. It's a good kind of weird, though. So that's okay. That's that's cool. Clay is my bro. I, I the, the best part about. I mean, there's many many best parts about comics. So one of the best parts about comics is making friends with these with the, making sure. like friends for life with the creators, and uh, the, the friendships I made with Clay and Mitch and my other collaborators are just. I feel like it's gonna last a lifetime, and it's just it's the best thing happening in comics. Well, and honestly, I think um, this run is really. This and, of course, Mr. Miracle as well. I mean, it's really kind of showing the strengths of these these artists. And, you know, I mean, it, I like uh, Janine and, and, and uh, Mitch and, you know, people that, frankly, yeah, you know, I, I didn't necessarily, they weren't on my radar. And now they absolutely are because of these incredible stories. And Clay is certainly another one like that as well. Oh, sorry, we have to say Eisner award-winning Mitch Garrett's now. That's his requirement. I can appreciate that. Absolutely. It's in, it's in his contract since he's the best artist in comics, apparently. <laughs> 
So, Mr. Miracle, a a, a wonderful wrap-up to Mr. Miracle. I, I, uh, that was a great ride. And, uh, I, yeah, again, I, I almost have to feel, I always feel like I got to reread that because so much was happening (laughs) in, in his head and the war on apocalypse and being in hell. And, uh, God, I just, I truly, man, like I, I, you know, I always feel like high father never gets enough, uh, screen time in a lot of new God stories. And I, maybe because he's like so good and so perfect, but I just I really I, I love that conversation and certainly the dark side stuff. <laughs> I loved uh, Scott's kid just playing with Grandpa and grabbing his face and everything, and <laughs> that was all terrific, man. And uh, yeah, I just, really every everybody. And now is is Oberon dead still, or was that in Scott's head, or you know? So the last, so Mister Miracle, um. The last issue of Mr. Miracle does not present a clear answer to what happened in the entire series. <laughs> I, I assumed as much. Go on. So it's difficult for me to talk about it because to me, I 100% see exactly what I was intending to see, sure, what I was sure. intending to do. And the message I was intending to say, like, I see it, but I, I think that my opinion on what it is doesn't matter as much as sort of what people take away from it. Um. And, and I feel like if I was to offer, I'd be like, okay, this is what, because people ask me all the time, they're like, what does it mean? You know, who is this? And sure. And what is that? I was, I was like, well, I can't just, I, I, no, I, I can't say it, even though I like have a, even, even if you make something, I, I really love Mr. Miracle. And it's like, I, I, I don't think I can write sort of better than that. I think that's as good as I can write. And, and, and when, when you're writing as well as you can write, you kind of like, it goes beyond even you a little bit where You, you've sort of torn down the walls um, between you and the audience so much that almost you don't understand what you're writing. I don't know how to describe it, but like that's when you get really good stuff. Uh, when, when you're sort of talking from a place in yourself that you can't, because I mean the whole, I mean I said this before, but the whole point of of art is to communicate something that's incommunicable, incommunicable. I can't. I'm not. A, I'm not a professional writer. I write comic books for. Them. <laughs> no, it reminds uh, me a lot of the kind of. Uh, debates that would go on about uh, Stanley Kubrick in 2001, and that's and that's right. and that's why um, and I love uh, 2010 was the sequel I believe. Roy yeah, Schneider. 2010 Roy Schneider, yeah. and I love that movie, but it really was like this this real like debate about the 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 themes and and ideas that Kubrick put in in 2001, and then 2010 comes on. It's like okay, this means this, this means that, and this means that. Any questions? No. Okay. Thank you. Goodbye. And again, it was like, what? what, what okay. <laughs> and it's, but again, I, it's a shame because no, I think leave it ambiguous by all means, man. I hope you never reveal what was in your head as far as what you think the story says. And again, this is as 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 the run was going on. If people listen to our last conversations, I basically said the same thing. Like, I don't know where this is going. I don't know if it's a fever dream. I don't know if it's uh, you know, <laughs> it's all in Scott's mind. Is it? Is you know? Did he die? You know, I mean, it, it was fantastic. And I, I love a good – if there's that kind of ambiguity and you're still able to tell an entertaining story, way to go. I mean, there's – you know, I haven't seen it yet. Orson Welles' last film, The Other Side of the Wind. I saw the documentary but not the film. Me too. And, you know, I'm holding out until I – you know, and especially when friends are married and they've got kids and nobody has time. I really want to sit down with a couple of my film buff friends 
and really like want to watch it and then decide. And as I've heard it described in people who have seen it, they've said it's like a fever dream. And it's very 70s in a lot of its uh, the way they tell the story. And there's a movie within a movie. I love the documentary. The documentary was fascinating. Incredible. Yeah. It's all on Netflix, kids, if you don't know. And the, the documentary is called They'll Love Me When I'm Dead. But then the actual movie, Other Side of the Wind, I'm sure I've already talked about it on previous episodes, but it's uh, he made it in the 70s. It was financed partially by the brother-in-law of the Shah of Iran. So it was tied up in Iranian money for years and the rights, and they never were able to like take get the rights away. And it got to the point where in the 80s, Wells uh, told Peter Bogdanovich, you know, if I die and this is, you know, not, you know, my, I don't get the rights back in time to take care of it myself. I really need you to finish this. And sure enough, they finally did untangle all the legal problems. And Bogdanovich sat down with the cut that they had and, and, and has put it out. And I can't wait to see it. I mean, John Houston's in it and Bogdanovich is in it. Um, I love the fact that Rich Little was going to be in it for five seconds. And then they realized he wasn't a real actor. <laughs> It's a fascinating story, and I, and I, but again, it's that idea of Rich Little playing bug, playing a Bogdanovich character in a movie Bogdanovich is in. The, yes, <laughs> yeah. It, there's like meta levels to meta levels, and and a bunch of other filmmakers too. Paul Mazursky's in there. Dennis Hopper is in there, um, and it is a comment about uh, filmmaking then in the '70s, and also just I love the idea too that Wells, who really was ignored by Hollywood since the uh, perceived failure of Touch of Evil, where Universal's like, this isn't what we wanted. And it really was like, as far as the studio was concerned, an embarrassment. We all know it's a classic. Um, and so this was kind of what was going to be Wells' triumphant return because he was so emboldened by all the 70s filmmakers. And like, oh, they get me. This young group of mavericks, they understand what I was trying to do. So certainly I can make my kind of movie now once again in Hollywood. And it's, I mean, really, honestly, the documentary, as you know, it's just amazing. I'll let you say anything you want about it now. Oh, well, I mean, Wells is the most fascinating figure in the history of film, I feel. Yes. Like there's, there's, I just read a biography of his, of his early life. Like, yeah, he's in, you know, a Midwesterner from Wisconsin. That's right. She grew up outside Chicago-ish. That's right. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, and then, so this is like this is the end of his life when basically he's a failure and he's trying to get his grip back on his art, and and but he like he can't quite it like doesn't make sense like he's like he he's, he's a he, he's give, he's almost given up on story he's just going from pure instinct yes but then like he like but once he does the pure instinct he has to put the story back in and and he doesn't know how to do that so like he just spends like 10 years editing it you know it's like amazing this weird um i don't i wells is is such a bizarre interest is such a bizarre figure in the history of hollywood to have made like your best film when you're 25 and to have revolutionized the industry and then you think you're going to become like sort of a, he probably was going to become president of the united states right then, well, I know, I know he, he was involved in politics, and then, of course, you know, the Red Scare, I think, kind of, you know, yeah. screwed him up the McCarthy era and everything, and he, you know, hightailed it to Europe for several years. And, uh, yeah, I, I, no, he's, you're right. It's a fascinating life. And then, again, never having a real studio behind him for any of these films, literally would, like, uh, was it Othello or Macbeth that, uh, no, it was Othello. 
that took like over two years uh, where they like stopped shooting for two years. Yeah. So he could so he can make more money and then pick up shooting again. Chimes in Midnight was made that same way, uh, mid '60s Shakespeare thing. That if you know your Thor, uh, Falstaff is uh, is pretty much you know the, the the classic character that you see in Thor. Uh, you know, it's the same, it's basically, you know, it's the Shakespeare, you know, Shakespeare's version of it, but it absolutely works. And as far as I'm concerned, it's like, <laughs> it's the same guy. And, uh, no, it's incredible. Really. Uh, what a great body of work. I love too, that Bendis calls Storenko the Orson Welles of comics. I'm like, that's a very apt description of Storenko's body of work and his influence. In oh, that's fascinating. Storenko is the person. Well, I, I, I always think of it, um. In, in, in Cavalier and Clay, they very much make Will Eisner sort of the Orson Welles of comics, or the guy who sort of saw Orson Welles and put all those techniques into comics, and then they said, what's the next step? I remember that from, from Cavalier and Clay. Sure, sure. But then I go back and look at Eisner stuff, and I was like, there is no next step. He perfected it. He just kind of kind of ride this wave. It's probably out before this episode, but I'll tell you, I, I, I think I was telling you before we started recording, had an amazing conversation with Dennis Kitchen. And uh, both about his career in underground comics and then, of course, his collaborations with Will. And, oh, my God. And I, I got to meet Eisner. Um, University of Chicago had this great humanities festival. And uh, Gaiman interviewed uh, Eisner at it. And wow. Scott, Mc, Scott McCloud was there. And Art Spiegelman was there. It was really, really great. And because it was in this, you know, University of Chicago is kind of like if Chicago had an Ivy League school, it would be the University of Chicago. It's very much kind of a Harvard sort of, you know, no disrespect to Harvard. But, you know, it's, it is that kind of very privileged kind of uh, college and everything and very highbrow. But it was great because after they spoke in this on this stage in a kind of lecture hall, they all went out to the lobby of the lecture hall and we're, everyone was just casual and you could walk up and talk to anybody and stuff. So I talked to Gaiman and I talked to Eisner. This was like about four years before Word Balloon. Wow. And, and yeah, oh my God. And it was so great to meet Eisner and stuff. And I brought like a handful of uh, Warren and also uh, kitchen sink spirits for him to autograph. <laughs> and yeah, he was like, Oh, these are great. You know, and he, he couldn't have been sweeter. Couldn't have been nicer and stuff, but I no, I love Eisner. I mean, I, Eisner's amazing. So. Yeah. Um, the, which is funny. Cause I was just reading the Eisner, how to write comics book. Sure. Uh, and I disagree with him on almost every single point he makes. <laughs> <laughs> Which is probably why I'm much shittier writer than him. But it's very funny. Like he's, he's like, "Don't do this," and this is how time should pass between panels. And I'm like, "No, it shouldn't." Interesting. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, "Don't put more than if a, if a if a character has a conversation, don't put the conversation as multiple um, uh, word balloons in a panel. You know, spread them out to multiple panels." It's like, no. If you want to speed up the the conversation you put it in there get a little pitter patter back and forth uh so so uh i felt myself arguing with eisner and then when you feel yourself arguing with eisner you just feel like yourself you're losing this argument with eisner <laughs> it'd be interesting to hear what mcleod thinks of of the things that eisner says in the book you know because i think mcleod really i think showed that you can do more than what eisner suggesting based on what you just said so yeah i don't know Okay, let's take a break and uh, get into our sponsor, this portion of Word Balloon brought to you by Aftershock Comics, the industry's fastest-growing independent publishing company, promoting both new and established comic audiences to read dangerously. They're claiming 2019 as the year of reading dangerously. As a publisher of many of the most talked-about independent titles of the past few years, things like Marguerite Bennett's Animosity, Garth Ennis's A Walk Through Hell, Dark Ark from Cullen Bunn and Juan Doe, and, of course, Donny Cates and Baby Teeth, 
Aftershock is pushing the envelope even further this year with new releases and ongoing series that continue to thrill, chill, and challenge both imaginations and sensibilities. Aftershock is working with top writers and artists and some of the brightest new stars in the creative community. Some of the new titles that are coming out uh, this year, things like Stronghold with Phil Hester and Ryan Kelly, Oberon, a new supernatural series featuring Ryan Parrott, Dark Red, a vampire living in rural America from Tim Seeley, and things like Out of the Blue and Horde. They're going to cut across all genres to take readers far beyond the comfort zones. Now, in the weeks ahead, we'll be talking to more Aftershock creators about their books, but you don't have to wait. Go to their website. You'll find full story descriptions, preview pages, and the diamond codes on these books to order through your local shop at AftershockComics.com. All right, let's get back into our conversation now on Word Balloon. Uh, but I want to get back to your books now because... Oh, yes, I read. About, and, and no, no, all tangents are welcome. You know that. Um, Heroes in Crisis is another great kind of mystery of where this story is going. And I love the ambiguity that, that you're playing with in that. And I mean, God, you know, you start with Wally being dead. And now, you know, we see Wally in Sanctuary in issue three. And, uh, you know, what the things that he's dealing with. It's heartbreaking, man, because, yeah, I think all of these heroes and villains, um, yeah, you feel their pain in this story. And it's uh, it's great. I, I have no problem with I'm three issues in and have no idea where this is going. That's that's terrific. Well, I mean, the first thing I say about that book is, God damn, it is beautiful. That is a beautiful book. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Clay is up his game in that book. And, of course, the third issue is drawn by Lee Weeks, who's already at the top of the game. Um, so, yeah, the thing I'm most proud about that book is just how it looks. Like, every issue, I'm just blown away by the art. Uh, so that's the first thing to say. But, yeah, yeah, Heroes in Crisis um, continues along. I I, I feel bad talking about it because anytime I talk about it, Wally fans get legitimately mad at me. Sure. Uh, which they, <laughs> no, I get it. They should be. And and, and, and as, as a Wally fan, I think Wally is the much better Flash. This is something Josh and I disagree with. We have long arguments over this. He likes Barry. He's a fool. Wally is a much better Flash. <laughs> well, luckily, I think there's room for both. And depending on where your story is going. There is clearly uh, not room for both. Barry is so boring. Who like I no? If you people like, I like Barry, that I grew up. I grew up with Barry, dude. And again, Barry well, in the hands of sorry. Barry in the hands of uh, Carrie Bates. I, I'll tell you, man. I, Jeff Johnson, I would disagree with you. I know Jeff obviously because he brought him back. Uh, well, way, way, way. You know, early conversations with Jeff. We always talked about how much we love Barry and uh, the importance of. Uh, what what Barry represented and everything and and Barry represented generic white guy. That's what Barry represented. Well, and you're right. And as far as the Silver Age stuff, I would agree with that. But um, no, I th- honestly, man, I, I think in the '70s and certainly into the '80s, you know, Carrie is such a. I, I love every time he comes back to comics. Me Carrie too. Bates. Me too. He's a great writer. I love that, Carrie Bates. That Elseworld story that he did about what if uh, Jor-El was able to save his whole family, and they all came to Earth. What I, was, I read. A Captain Adam thing by him recently that was very, yes, yeah, yeah. He's still good. He's good. Very good. Yeah, he's he's amazing. So yeah, you know, I mean, again, growing up with Barry, and but again, loving Wally just as much. And I get the absolute adoration that people have for Wally because he's the first side. He and he and Dick are the first sidekicks to really graduate and get to be their own their own men. And and I think that's really and especially in the case of Barry or a Wally. The way Crisis ended, and it, you know they could have left. They could have left Barry dead, and it would have been. I I, I would have been okay with that. I'm glad he's back because I missed him. Um, and again, I think just like Jay, the three generations of Flashes 
are uh, and Bart Bart's his own thing, and I love Bart. Bart's hilarious, but it, but it really was this whole like, you know, Jay was Barry's mentor, and Barry is uh, is obviously Wally's a mentor and everything. And I just I do love that through line, and also God that moment in Infinite Crisis. Speaking of uh, Bart, when uh, he's trying to fight uh, evil Superboy, Superboy Prime. Yeah. And uh, and that great moment where you see Barry and he's just like Bart, you were never alone, and it's like, oh my god, <laughs> there he is. <laughs> mm. See, I'm telling you, man, you gotta you gotta forgive us older readers sometimes with that stuff. But uh, yeah, I, I like I said, I think there's room for both, and I'm I am fascinated to see what your story is going to hold, and also, I mean, are you you have to be coordinating with Josh because I assume Josh has plans for Wally as well, given where you know Wally was left last time we saw him in Flash. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's all being coordinated. But I, I, I want to speak up for Wally since you just gave us the, you know, made some the, points the about Barry argument, which were, <laughs> which were fine points. But you're wrong. <laughs> what, what, what Wally is, what he represents, at least for my gender, is he. I feel like he's essentially the Peter Parker of the DC universe. Interesting. Okay. He's he, he's he's the everyday guy. He's the guy who cuts the tension with a joke. He's the guy who's too young to be in the fight because I feel I like like you know if you watch JLU like that's Wally that's not Barry absolutely hundred uh, percent like he he's he, he's he's the guy you know the famously the episode where Lex Luthor takes over his brain and picks up his mask and goes ah I know who you are but who are you yeah. <laughs> um like like that's what Wally is he's 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 like the everyman character he's 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 us if we got superpowers. That's so good. he's he's very much a even more than because Dick Grayson's almost a little too. Uh, he, I mean, I and I, and I wrote Dick Grayson for for years, but there, there's something a little too idealistic about, too perfect about him. That Wally's just a little more flawed in sort of that Peter Parker way. Like Dick will always Dick will always pay his rent. I think Wally's going to be late. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. No, that's great, uh, man. Absolutely. That, that's I, why I feel like that character works. I wonder if he's going to uh, show up in Titans, or is the CW's deal meaning that you know Wally's only going to be on the Flash TV show or whatever? Because uh, I got to say, man, I'm a convert on Titans. I, I saw that trailer and, and was like, I don't know, fuck Batman, what the hell's going on? And uh, you know, I haven't watched that final episode yet because we're recording before it's come out, the final episode of the season. But uh, I really did a 180 on Titans, and I'm like, no, actually, I'm really digging this, and the 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 episodes that not only featured the Titans, but then like the, the Doom Patrol episode and the Hawk and Dove episodes. Oh my God. These are I like really, some of the greatest depictions. I really like the of Hawk those. and Dove one too. I saw just seen, I've just seen the first two, but I really like the Hawk and Dove depiction. Yeah, absolutely. I got, be, to, I got to go to the premiere and see all see all the stars there. Oh, that's yeah. great. Well you'll be you'll be happy when you see the next appearance of Hawk and Dove later in the series. Um they go more into uh the origins of Hawk and Dove. And I was really amazed. I was blown away. And again, that Doom Patrol episode is just classic. I keep meaning to text Gabe Hardman because he's such—he's like the biggest comic creator fan of the Doom Patrol that I know of. Doom Patrol, really? Isn't that interesting? Oh yeah, he loves—he loves, he loves uh, Bruno Italian name that I can't remember right now. Uh, that was the original artist on uh, on Doom Patrol, and I agree. It's—he's—he had a, a great. Very simple, deceptively simple style in the same way that Kurt Swan. I, lo- I love hearing people say, oh, Kurt Swan, it's just so blah. And it's like, oh, man. What? You, Kurt- you're, I know. You're, it, like, I'm like, can you miss subtlety more? 
and how amazing Kurt Swan. I love that. I'm sure I've, we've talked about it before. That one uh, page of Superman heads of him, like in various, yes. like him laughing, him thinking, him angry. And it's like, yeah, that's Kurt Swan, man. No, he nobody can emote with their art more than Kurt Swan. So, yeah. yeah no, Kurt, I, Kurt Swan did to Superman what Carl Barks did to Ducks. He took agreed. this, like, this generic character and kept him generic, but then put all this emotion and 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 and, and, and all this stuff, like, almost like a, like, a, like a Japanese art where you have the same thing repeated, but it just changes a little bit and it changes the entire meaning. It's beautiful I'm, stuff. I'm with you, man. No, I love that stuff. And I also, the people that shit on uh, the Weisinger era, I mean, Mort was a jerk, don't get me wrong, but it's like, oh, these stories were goofy, and it's like, all they were, like, you know, Pat Boone showing up or uh, Alan Funt, <laughs> the candid camera host, and, you know, Jimmy Olsen as a caveman beetle. And I'm like, you don't understand. They were making pop culture references because that's what was going on around then. So, yeah, they were goofy, but they were fun, and they were never meant to be serious. And also, you know, they were still fighting the, the you know, after effects of the comics code and everything. So uh, I, I appreciated the weird, inventive you know, stuff from the red kryptonite stories. Superman has the head of an ant. Oh my God. You know, it's like, well, yeah. Cause again, fifties bug movies were very big back then. So I, I was always cool with that stuff. And then even God, the romance stories of, um, when, uh, I think her name was Sally Sewell. When, uh, Superman had amnesia and he thought his name was Jim White. And he, and I think it was again, exposure to like red kryptonite or something. So he didn't have his powers and he's, living on a ranch and you know yeah so he's jim white and uh yeah he falls in love with this this beautiful rancher and everything and it's it's this very sweet clark kent story and everything so you know and again definitely drawn by uh by by swan good stuff man Oof. love it yeah no there, there's uh I, I i collect old action comics it's kind of what i get when i go to a convention i try to get an old action comics from the 40s every time and i and i try not to get them slabbed although i do sometimes because i'm an idiot and you say from the 40s from the 40s late 40s i like i like late 40s action comics i just think that so yeah which artist was that like win mortimer and uh yeah it's it's win mortimer and al plastino of course plastino's Um, amazing yeah i met plastino and before he died i met him very, very briefly um and he was very nice that's amazing. That's fantastic. Jesus. Um, and, uh, I, yeah, I agree. I agree with you. A lot of, a lot of those uh, Superman artists that they aren't the immediate like first names, you know, that come to mind and stuff. I'm a huge Win Mortimer fan. I loved his cover work and Plastino was great. Yeah. Of course, Kurt Schaffenberger. Kurt unbelievable Schaff- stuff. Yeah. Wayne Boring, you know, these guys. I got Now I was going to say, I have to confess the guy I don't get. You don't like Wayne Boring? Too cartoony for you? It's there's something funky about his bodies. Every everybody everybody is at least a three X or even a four X. Like these guys are heavy guys yeah. with big big torsos and everything. It's like whoa, big torsos and, also, and short arms. And everyone, his, everyone just like, so it looks like someone took a hammer and just knocked on everyone's head once. <laughs> and his and his faces are kind of they're just weird. I don't know. There's there's a little goofy. Julius Culp, Jerry Lewis kind of thing every now and then shows up in a Clark Kent face that Wayne Boring did or um, yeah I, I can't I, I really can't uh, describe it better it's funny I, I started buying the IDW uh, comic strip collections and at first I'm like oh this is great it's all this Swan stuff and then very early on the run they switched so Swan went to do the monthlies and Boring went to do the uh, 
these strips. And I do, God, there's some amazing stories in the strips, and they are almost like alternate cuts of great comic book stories as well. They did the same stories, but slightly differently in the in the daily comic strips. Uh, and there's like a great Bizarro story I know that Boring drew that's just amazing. But yeah, I got to be honest. Like I'm like, eh, I don't know, man. You know, I I really don't know. So, well, I like about Wayne. I agree with you, Wayne Boring. But what I mean is he 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 pulled the camera back in cool ways. He would like I don't know if he, what he liked to do, but everybody's tired of drawing the same figure. But you get Wayne Boring, but like the camera would pull back and he showed us like. You know, you get this like that's what you need from Superman. You need this. You need a sense of scale sometimes. You need to see sure. him pushing an entire mountain over. That's why I like being boring sometimes, is that he would do that. But yeah, I agree with you. Of, of those guys, he's he's my least favorite. Although he's he's prized because he's got that kind of, it's a very golden age look. It's kind of like halfway between Schuster and Swan. You know, it's like almost like. I agree with that absolutely. I think that's a very good uh, you know description of, of boring and everything. And truly, you know, that's that's a conversation I have to have a future conversation with Wade. Because Wade's such a Superman expert. Um, oh, yeah. yeah I'd, I'd love to hear what he thinks. And I even remember, I think the Comics Journal had some panel with a bunch of, like, indie people. And they were talking various, like, little debatable kind of issues. And they said, okay, uh, the, the you know quintessential Superman artist, Kurt Swan or Wayne Boring. And it was a good argument back and forth. It was fantastic. I loved it. Oh, so. Well, that should have been an argument. Jimmy Alpacino. <laughs> Jim Mooney doing uh, Supergirl and Lois Lane and stuff like that. Oh, my God. I mean, he was terrific, too. So, uh, those old comics. This is the best. Let's just talk old comics the whole time. Seriously, man. I know. I know. Am I, am I missing? What, uh, have, I, have we hit all the current Tom King uh, creations the, uh, right now? Tom King, yes. Well, I'm doing Double Ship Batman. It's going to be in yes. Nightmares. Uh, coming up. You should ever you should buy that. Uh, Heroes in Crisis. Horribly sad, but it gets really good. It is, it is really good. And, it's incredibly good. Uh, and Superman, I feel like there's one other thing that I write. Oh, Mr. Miracle, which we already talked about. But it's yes, not. we did. And okay, then, well, yeah, but that just wrapped up. Mitch and I are, um, Mitch and I are prepping the Mr. Miracle follow-on uh, right now, which is, which is going to be like the most ambitious thing I've ever done. So, so is, it a, is it another New Gods uh, fourth world story, or is it just you guys doing something else? It's not New Gods. Now we're done with the New Gods. We're we're wiping the, the Mr. Miracle New God story is done. We're doing another um, classic DC character or two classic DC characters or three classic DC characters or a team or something, and uh, <laughs> and we're giving them the the same tr- the Vision Mr. Miracle treatment um, to the to, to to a different character. But it's I'm I'm sort of th- I've, I've I in the first the first part of my career, which is sort of Vision Omega Men, yes. I, and uh, and sheriff, that was sort of all about uh, the Iraq War and, and, and my experience there. The second part of my career, which is sort of Batman, Mister Miracle, and Heroes in Crisis, was about sort of PTSD. And so now I'm going to start a new sort of theme or a new sort of way to go. So that the that the first start of that will be in the in the series Mitch and I do next. Um, wow, which That's is fantastic. so so it's, it's so it's oh, so it's a lot of prep. It's the most prep I've ever done for them. I'm going sort of back to basics. I'm kind of tearing myself down and rebuilding myself as a writer, hopefully. Um, so we're going to use, we're, we're not going to we're going to use a completely different way to draw the comic and a completely different way to tell the story. And um, I'm trying to combine all these different sort of elements. Uh, I'm trying to combine like I'm doing a lot of this um, film noir research, which is weird to say. Exciting. So all for, I'm doing is watching for composition for composition of. 
what you want to do or yeah, for how, for thematically how, for, or for how I want to tell the story basically for kind of, I want to use some of these sort of film noir tricks and, and the way that they, the way they use voiceover and, and the way they match it with flashbacks and, uh, and, and the way, um, uh, uh, the role, you know, the, the relationship between men and women, that kind of sort of things. I want to steal a lot of that sort of from old film noirs and, and sort of modernize it in this comic. I mean, not, everyone's doing that, but I want to, I, sometimes when you're a writer, you kind of get on these like tangents. You're like, "There's something there I want to steal, but I can't quite get at it." Uh, so that's I know there's something in film noir that I want to steal. And so, th- so what I'm doing is I'm I'm just watching all these old film noirs over and over again, and then I'm reading. I'm trying to expand my readership. Like I just I just did a big dive into um, uh, uh, um, uh, 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 the Los Hernandez, you know, like the, that stuff. And I'm reading a lot of old Pogo comics and a lot of I'm trying. Wow. To read, I'm trying to read like the best of the stuff I haven't read yet, like the classics that I haven't read yet. Like I just read like two volumes of Sager's Popeye and Oh, I love that stuff. Oh my god. And I'm so bummed. Did you see the new Popeye cartoon? No, I haven't seen oh. it. Is it good or bad? No, no, it's really bad. They took they they took his pipe away because of course smoking is bad. Yeah, no. So now so now he has a whistle instead of the uh which I get because you know the the pipe did trill like a whistle but it's like don't take away his pipe i mean and that's just the beginning of uh uh bluto is clean shaven now uh it's just weird and wrong and man i'm telling you i love uh all that old original ec seeger stuff oh my god it's it's fantastic and i know too i just read that there's a whole collection of thimble theater which was the original comic strip that Popeye just like showed up into yeah. like, two years into the run or whatever. And they're, they collected all the Thimble theater stuff, uh, pre Popeye in a yeah. volume. And I'd, Oh, I'd love to read that. I mean, yeah. I'm, and I really loved like IDW did a great job, uh, on their recent Popeye yeah, comics. Those and are stuff, great. That's what I've been reading. Yeah. Oh no. I, yeah. I'm a, I'm a huge, huge Popeye fan. I love, especially the black and white Fleischers. Uh, they're, they're, they're fantastic. They're so funny. Oh, they're and, so and, good. Yeah, yeah, and just you know the lines. Olive, some days you give me apoplexy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm already laughing. You know, and just hey, what are you doing over there? Hey, you know, <laughs> just Pluto, just <laughs> muttering. Oh, hey, hey, come over here, and then he hits him. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that, I, I never thought about. It. You can't have pop. Yeah, you can't have modern day Popeye because he can't smoke a pipe anymore. As a father of three children, I have a picture in my room that Gabriel. <laughs> Gabriel Hart, when my son, my son's name is Crosby, because I'm, we talk about it many times. I have a big Bing Crosby fan, and sure. and when he was born, I Gabriel Hartman did a Bing Crosby portrait for me, um, which is beautiful and hangs up in my in my son's room. But he's smoking a pipe, and my wife always yells at me. He's like, if he turns out to be a pipe smoker, <laughs> I'm like, he's why? It's a one oh, pipe man. in his room. I love. Uh, I always love. Uh, you know, they they show it all the time now. Certainly at Christmas time, the Bing uh, Crosby David Bowie duet yes but i always i just love that idea of, hey how you doing why don't you come over here and sit for a while and i just love how it he starts off so high and then it's like going down the staircase because it, it really is like he always well i'll tell you it's a fine day out here in los angeles and so let me tell you a few things that me and the kids do it's like all right man <laughs> go go bing go i want gary glidden's to finish his uh biography the new volume's out yo is it out it's out Oh, fantastic. Oh, Tom, I'm going to buy this as soon as we're done talking. That's it's good. wonderful. It's called The Warriors. I've read it. It's oh, man, I am so excited because 
I'm ahead. Truly, man. If I mean, especially again, younger generations. If all they know is that old man that's singing with David Bowie on the Christmas song, or or even just White Christmas, it's like you don't know this guy. He was so interesting. He was a pothead for Christ's sake. <laughs> hey, nothing wrong with a little tootski over there. Let me uh, have a little hit from the bong. <laughs> but I no, I love him, and and just the uh, the innovations that he brought to. And I know I'm talking to someone who knows. Uh, the innovations he brought to recording and everything, and he he brought uh, the reel to reel tapes over from Germany, the Ampex machines. You know, I mean, it brought yeah. them to America, and and also just because he, I love the to fact be lazy. That, that's what it was. Well, I know that's what I was going to say, man, because he wanted to do his radio show in like three months for the year, and then just play golf and have fun and hang out and not really have to work. And that's really when they started, as opposed to having live musical shows, that they would start recording them. And he would edit them down. He'd do like 40 minutes and they'd cut the cut it down to the best bits of 30 minutes and everything. No, it's fascinating. And just some of the cool things he did, like, because uh, um, sometimes I'll conflate it with Hope, uh, like um, Rosemary Clooney. And I mean, it hasn't even been covered in the books yet, but I know post-White Christmas, they had a radio show on CBS radio for like a half hour of them just singing songs. And he just kind of, you know, he's like, "Hey, you're great. I love, I love singing with you. Let's, let's do this." Or his stuff with the Andrew Sisters, and and I, and also I love it's on the American Masters, and I'm sure we've talked about it before. Bing uh, documentary where you hear some of the recording sessions with him and the guy who ran Decca Records, and they absolutely disagree with like whatever take they're doing, and it's just back and forth of just nastiness, and it's like I'll do it the way I want to do it. Don't don't tell me how to sing. Well, bang, I'm just, I, I think I know what I'm talking about. I make records. You don't know shit about how I sing. And it's like, wow. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, these guys, the, 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 uh, they were just all, they were all assholes. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's, you know, yeah, there is the whole, like, spiking his kids. and be, I mean, God, his four sons from the marriage with Dixie Lee, it's heartbreaking. All those, all the, they all got messed up. And they all, they all, very, yeah, they, yeah. all they all died before forty. Two of them killed themselves. I mean, it was not that did not go well. Yeah, Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, Just, but fascinating. You know, again, you can't help it. It's fascinating. I mean, again, not not the greatest people necessarily. Not the greatest people, but I was watching Mad Men, and they said that um, Bing Crosby makes every song sound like Christmas. It was like kind of an insult, but I was like, that's what it is to me. <laughs> when I hear oh, Bing no. Crosby, I, I get that Christmas feeling, and. Uh, uh, and sometimes in, in, when you're having a hard day and everyone's yelling at you, you just need a little Christmas feeling in your soul. So you try to ignore the fact that all his children, their half his children killed themselves and you, you lean into it. I understand. No, you, you know, also like such a huge crossover hit. He would sing what, you know, country songs. He would sing Hawaiian, you know, theme songs. And I, it's, you know, again, everything that they attribute to, El, you know, Beatles, the Beatles first, People go, well, you know, Elvis was first. It's like, yeah, but Sinatra was before Elvis, and before all of them, there was Bing. Bing really was the first great king of pop in the 30s. Well, there was, there was Al Jolson first, I guess. Like, Bing was now Jolson clone, and then Sinatra was a Bing clone, and then, then Elvis, then the Beatles, and then everyone, right? And I love, too, that the press wanted to, like, you know, say, oh, Hope and Sinatra hate each other. It's like, no, we like each other a lot. I love in the Rat Pack movie, Robin and the Seven Hoods, when Bing shows up. And Bing is absolutely yes. swinging right there with the guys that are 20 years younger or that wonderful duet in High Society. 
Oh, yes. Well, party it is. Good Lord. I love that song. And, and truly, they're, they're, they are at their peak, both guys. And it's literally like watching an amazing tennis match. These two incredible singers just topping each other with each line and just, you know, blending together. And I love uh, the stuff with uh, Louis Armstrong in Ice Society is amazing. This The song about the history of jazz. Yes, and you just got and you got and you got uh, you got Louis Armstrong just scatting along, and uh, Bing just taking this great like bass line singing, and it's it's incredible. And also how he stuck up for people like Louis in the '30s, when you know there were there were you know places in the South that they'd make shorts together, and it's like yeah we we don't want to run those, and it's like hey I'm not making these if Louis's not with me, and <laughs> and just the the respect that he had for all these other musicians, uh, you know, uh, am I were there uh, stories to the contrary in Gary's books? I, I haven't seen them yet, if or I don't remember them. No, no, no. The, the, he, I mean, for his time, he was fairly progressive in terms of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, especially with paying respect to the guys who got him. I mean, because uh, Bing would be nothing without Louis Armstrong. Louis Armstrong sort of founded that type of singing, which, it's, sure. which is why that song is so ironic and in high society because here he's singing about jazz and here's the founder of jazz is standing next to him and just gets a little bit of a solo. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. You're right. Well, and again, well, he's got, he's got Louis band backing him up at least. And then, that's uh, but I, uh, man, no, I honestly, I, Bing continues to fascinate me. And also in a very rock and roll sense, quite the Hellraiser was like arrested all the time for yes. drunk driving and smashing his car. And ah, sorry about that, Your Honor. I didn't know it was that big of a deal. <laughs> is that a problem? Yes, it is, is, Bing. It? Are we going to talk comics and Bing Crosby for two hours? Because I am in. This you is the best do. conversation ever. We, we always have to talk a little Bing. Come on. We have to. I can it's, get it. For God's sake. It's like, uh, you know, Loeb and I were in a, jag, a meth out jag for years. <laughs> we couldn't help it for crying out loud. Oh, uh, you know. Good stuff, man. No, so Bing. This, this is my my brain. You know, Bing had an affair with Grace Kelly, which makes no sense in my head. <laughs> During high society, I would have. During high society, well, Grace Kelly had. I mean, God bless her, but she had an affair with most of her. Co-stars. I was going to say, yeah, she was. She, forgive me uh, if this sounds inappropriate, but yeah, she was quite the minx. She got her. Yeah, so yeah, but in an empowering sort of way. She, she sure. Um, but I just watched Rear Window with my son. My son got surgery on both his feet because his feet weren't growing the right way. Aww. So, but he's it was it was I was very stressed. But he came through. He's such a trooper. So he's ten years old, and he turns ten tomorrow. And uh, such a trooper. But he was stuck at home. You know, he couldn't move with his feet in casts. And I was like, "We're watching Rear Window." <laughs> Genius. That's fantastic. <laughs> so, so it's a it, great movie. Right, and so I watched it with him, and so then for the rest of the day, we're looking at the window, trying to find murders. And also, have you have you ever seen it on the big screen? No, I never have. That um, you know, in the eighties, there were like several Hitchcock movies that were pulled off of television for a few years in the like from the sixties through the seventies, and it was kind of in his will that so many years after his death, he would re-release them in the theaters, and then they went to home video, and they were back on cable and stuff. And uh, it was Trouble with Harry and Rear Window and Vertigo. And I can't remember what the fourth one was right now. But anyway, I saw saw Rear Window, and it was downtown Chicago. I was downstate at Illinois State University, about two and a half hours from Chicago. Took the road trip with a buddy to just see Rear Window on the big screen. And that amazing slow-motion kiss when uh, Grace Kelly reaches in. And I'm telling you, on the big screen, it is very impressive. (laughs) <laughs> and it really is this like 
well, just this amazing slow motion shot. And you really do appreciate that. I wanted to ask you, as you say, you're kind of borrowing ideas from noir. What uh, can you tell me some of the noirs that you've been watching and, uh, you know, what you've been enjoying? What did I watch? I mean, I'm watching some of the classics. Um, uh, I mean, Out of the Past is like one of the best movies of all time. Absolutely love that movie. Um, love if, that. If movie. you watch one noir in your life, that's the one you should watch. I think. Hundred percent. I would say the first forty-five minutes of that are perfect. Like if the, if the, if the, the second half is just is very very good, it's like an A plus movie. But the first the first half is a perfect movie, and if the second half was as good as the first half, it would be like better than Citizen Kane. It would just be remembered. It just it's written so perfectly, and the dialogue is so sharp, and uh, and has the best line in, in cinema history when, sort of the the femme fatale finally um, confesses uh, um, that that that, she, that she, what what she's done and the sort of that she's in a lot of trouble. And uh, Robert Mitchum just looks at her and goes, "Baby, I don't care." <laughs> <laughs> Do you know this Christmas? And go ahead. Go ahead. Really. What's that? Do I know what? About Robert Mitchum? I know a little bit, but not all. My favorite Christmas oh, movie. Also a guy who liked to smoke a little weed. Absolutely. No, Mitchum is amazing. And I got to say, as I've gotten older, I've gotten to appreciate him more. And he really just did not give a shit. And in a lot of ways. And that's fantastic. And it's, I love the fact his, his career started making Hopalong Cassidy movies. And he loved it <laughs> because he's like, hey, you're outside all day. You get a good box lunch. I'm hanging out with my friends. It's fantastic. But I love uh, my favorite of, re- of recent years. I had never seen it until about five years ago. And now it's hands down one of my absolute favorite Christmas movies. It's called Holiday Affair. And it's Mitchum and uh, Janet Lee, And I can't. Well, Wendell, Wendell Corey. Wendell Corey oh, yeah. from Rear Window is the cop. And you know him from a million other like supporting roles in films and television. Um, and the whole thing is... Uh, Janet Lee is a widow and she has a young son and uh, Wendell Corey is really pressing hard about, Hey, you know, let's get married. It'll be good for the kid. The kid's just not connecting with Wendell Corey. And all of a sudden Robert Mitchum is this like near to well salesman who is at a department store, loses his job and, you know, just kind of gets like sucked into first through the kid and the toys that he's selling at this department store. But then he meets Janet Lee and the it's I always say it's like Robert Mitchum took a wrong turn in out of the past and suddenly found himself in a Christmas movie, <laughs> and it's just like all right, <laughs> I'm here, I'll, I'll just do it. And it, and really the subtext is, hey Janet, I know Wendell's a good guy, but I think you ought to marry me, and just in that very nonchalant kind of way, it's great, and I, I do I just love it. It's it's really interesting, and I mean you know Janet Lee's trying to be a strong woman, a widow. Uh, that lost her husband during the war and everything. Late forties movie. I, I absolutely, if you've never seen it, I absolutely recommend it as a, a fantastic Mitchum movie. So, you know, another weird Mitchum movie. Do you know? I want to say it's called The Trouble with Harry, and Jack Webb directed it and co-stars in it. And it's it's not a perfect movie at all, but it's a fascinating movie because it's trying to yeah. be a wise a wiseacre army movie. And it's so strange because you're so used to straight lace Jack Webb being Joe Friday. But that said, he he was a real fan of comedy. And even before he was doing Dragnet on radio for a very brief time, he had this crazy sketch show of comedy called the Jack Webb show. And it was pretty funny, actually. But this movie is not funny or trouble. Maybe not trouble with Harry. Trouble with Archie, I think. 
Yeah, de- definitely Archie's in the title. Well, I just saw Sunset Boulevard recently. You know, he's the like the comedy best friend in Sunset yes. Boulevard. Yes, Jack Webb. Absolutely, he is. No, I love Sunset Boulevard. My father worked for Jack Webb back in the day. Wow, was, doing what? He was. I, I mean, it's gotten more. My father is the teller of the best of fish stories, so you never know. But he, he's, I'm, he had some job for him right out of college back in 1968, where like Jack Webb was selling stories to the movie studios and my dad was helping him develop these stories or something so he my dad will tell you jack webb stories all day long holy cow because uh yeah no another fascinating hollywood guy that's only known for joe friday but no he had a lot of power at universal he created emergency along with chad dragnet and adam 12 and uh yeah i uh stephen cannell the old great 18 creator and wise guy and so many other amazing shows uh, co-creator of 21 Jump Street. Um, he talked about first coming to write for Webb on Adam 12 and had great stories about j- working for Jack Webb and stuff. And I, I truly, uh, Pat Novak is the closest thing to a great noir radio show, I think. Pat Novak for hire. And that's a, a detective character that Webb played and is constantly getting the shit kicked out of him by the uh, antagonist that he has to face and stuff and has nothing but a contemptuous relationship with the police it's very, very funny. Um, well, I'll tell you one of my favorite noirs, and I've talked about it with our mutual friend Mike Cronenberg, the, uh, the setup, Robert Ryan. Oh, and- I love it. Did you know I did a comic book that was dedicated to that movie? I did not. Tell me. I did it. People don't know. So, sorry, you were probably going to go. But the setup is a, it's, it's a boxing story uh, with Robert Ryan. And, um, and so it's, there's like a crime. Well, anyways, the, I did a command. It's just it, one of the issues I like most that I've ever done is this commandy issue for this commandy challenge. Oh sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I I did it with Kevin Eastman who did the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Holy oh. cow! I'm gonna have to go back and grab that issue. I've got them. Oh. I just haven't sat down with all of them yet. And and Freddie Williams is on the inks. Oh, and, fantastic! Uh, it's 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 one of the most gorgeous comics I've ever worked on. But uh, so I I I I'd recently watched. Um, that movie and um, in the movie there, there's the, the, the first half of the movie is he's just backstage waiting for the fight and um, all these different fighters are kind of getting pulled into their fight and either they win or they lose and they come back and sort of report on him and it's like this almost existential crisis because he's like just sitting there as one person goes off and comes back beaten and one person goes and I was like I love this concept of like you're just sitting in a room that's what fucking life is you know you're sitting <laughs> yeah you're sitting in a room and you're waiting and you're watching people sort of pass the other side and you don't know what happens to them uh, and so I did and I, at the time I had to do this issue of Commandy I was like I'm gonna do that I'm gonna make that about life so I did an issue of Commandy where that that's exactly what happened Commandy is stuck in a room. And he doesn't know why, but sort of he's he's with a group of people, and and every you know few days one of them gets pulled out, and he doesn't know where they go or why, and he sort of has to deal with the con. It was just a metaphor for life, but it was just totally stolen from that movie. That's fantastic. Also, uh, for comic fans, basically the first issue of Daredevil and the fate of Jack Murdoch is pretty much the setup. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Because because it's you know Ryan plays. A fighter that is asked to, you know, um, take a dive. Take a dive, yeah. Yeah, to to allow this young up-and-coming contender to build on his record. And, you know, Ryan's kind of broken down, is not doesn't have the greatest record. And, yeah, it becomes kind of this, like, crisis of conscience in terms of his own self-respect. 
versus making an easy buck falling to this guy. And it's all done in real time, which is amazing. It's like a 71-minute movie, and it all takes place like you're, you're seeing it as, it as it like unfolds. And it's truly, it's, it's a great movie. And Robert Wise, the director, I always say Robert Wise is one of the most unsung Hollywood directors. And some people say, and I, I've talked about this with Gabe, because you know Gabe's a big film buff too, and he's like, "Well, that's because he couldn't like, like decide on a style." And I said, "I disagree." And I'm like, "No, that just means he was versatile because he did that movie, he did The Sound of Music, he did uh, <laughs> The Day the Earth Stood Still." He he's if you look at the body of, of films that he did, he did the first uh, Star Trek, the motion picture. He did that film. Um, it's incredible the body of work and just the different things he could do. And they're all incredible. I, I mean, honestly, even even Star Trek The Motion Picture, which isn't a perfect movie, I think it's not his fault. It just got bogged down by the special effects. You know, it's uh, no, he's 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 an amazing director. And truly, the setup, I think, is his absolute classic. So he was Wells uh, editor yeah. for uh, for Kane and for Magnificent Ambersons. I agree. So. If, you ha- if you haven't seen the setup, you should see it. It's it's tense and good and dirty and wonderful. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it, I mean, and again, covering boxing as I did for a long time uh, in print and on radio, if you go to like a local show, it pretty much, uh, I mean, it's a little over dramatic in terms of the crowd, but kind of not that much different <laughs> than what actually happens. And just you do, you get kind of the bloodlust of the fans. Uh, it's, it's incredible. It's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing movie. And Robert Ryan, again, uh, much like Robert Wise, vastly underrated actor. I love oh, Robert Ryan. Yes, Robert Ryan is amazing. Good stuff, man. There you go, King. We can uh, we can wrap if you'd like. I, I, I we or we can keep going. It's up to you. I want to at least talk a little bit about Stanley. I feel like we have to. Oh, sure. If you, yeah, absolutely. And and you know we have in the past, and you've talked about your encounters, but certainly with Stan's passing, no, um, I want to take issue with you because I heard your wonderful podcast the day after Stan passed, um, with uh, with Fred Van Lent. with Fred Van Lent. with, with Fred. Um, which I thought was perfect and exactly what I wanted that day. Oh, thanks, man. Thank you for putting that out. But I was I was yelling at the podcast because I felt <laughs> that you were. T- I felt like you were almost uh, too caveating his accomplishments. That, that oh, interesting. Go on. That um, and it's 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 it. It's hard to say he's underrated at this point because I think in pop culture he's overrated to the sort of average person, and and he is. His reception at death, you couldn't ask for more than that. You know, if you're thinking about, like, Herodotus saying you judge a man by his death and how people talk about him, like, Stanley won the game, right? No question. Um, he's so appreciated. So, But I feel like among comic book fandom or among sort of the super nerds that we are, there was always this sort of, like, yeah, but kind of attitude of for him. You know, like, yeah, but, you know, he... You know, there's the, the Jack stuff and the Steve stuff, and um, you know, and they like you go back to his original sin of whether he got Jack fired from uh, Marvel and all that. Uh, and so w- there was so much yeah budding. I feel like he didn't get enough credit almost for what he did. Just the looking at because I, I've I've read so much of his stuff and I've read so much of what of Kirby's stuff without him and Dicko's stuff without him. Sure. Sure. And um, and so I think like I, I th- you, you can't you can't ever say that he created the things that this, the, the bad newspapers say that he created Spider-Man. Obviously, those were not his own creation. Um, 
but I think I think it is legitimate to say that he created the Marvel universe. I think Agreed. that is le- a legitimate statement that that his work as in th- that he didn't create any single character, but the concept of that universe and the feel of it and that part of that legacy does sort of belong to him in a bigger way. I agree with you. Absolutely. No, and I, I welcome uh, counterpoints to what Fred and I tried to do. You know, that, that show literally fell in our laps because I was going to talk to Fred about a couple of his current works that he has out there, and then we got the word that Stan passed away, and I think we even talked about it on the podcast. He's like, hey, can I come on in a half hour later because i got to go on BBC Radio and talk about Stan. I'm like, <laughs> sure. I'm like, I get it. And then, you know, again, he wrote the comic book history of comics, so I thought, oh, you know, well, you're, you know, he's a he's a comic book historian, um, and yeah, I just again complicated guy, but no, you're 100 percent right, and you're right. That connectivity of that of the Marvel universe should not be ignored, and clearly, probably was a Stan device of all of a sudden Thor flying over the Daily Bugle for a second, and just that kind of appearance or but a I'll, mention of what's going on in another comic book, you know. But I'll, I'll, I'll just, like as in what what I mean, there's many things that amaze me about Stan Lee, but. Just looking back, like okay, so he's he's the editor at Marvel Comics. So his his lineup of artists was basically Jack Jack Kirby, Steve Ditko, and Don Heck. Which you know, sure, right? Yeah, that is a Dick lineup. Ayers. And Dick Ayers, that that's like a lineup for the ages, right? Agreed, absolutely. Um, but it's not the greatest. I don't think it's the greatest lineup of artists in the history of comics or the history of comics that were available to editors. Um. Like I, I just read um, the infant of uh, a huge Infantino, and, and uh, he pointed out that in in, uh, in the beginning of DC Comics, um, uh, Infantino, Toth, and Joe Kubert were sort of the young guns, and they were sure. sort of considered the sort of the heart of it. And I was like, if I had to put up Kirby, Dicko, and Heck or Ayers against those three, I was like, that's a pretty even match. <laughs> like I. I I feel like those it, just in terms of my own personal tastes, but you never got you never got the genius out of those people at DC that they got the genius out of the people at Marvel. That's and I feel point. like there's something and and then because I was thinking about like editors that had worked with um, like the best editors working with the top talent. And I was I was like like you could think of like the EC Times with like um, Kurtzman and and Gaines. Um, and, Elder, and, Feld, and, and Feldstein, and, and like, the, Craig. yeah. So when you have like, you know, you've got Wally Wood and Al Williamson, like who, who and uh, who be a who be the third? Like, um, Kamen, Crankle, maybe Roy Crankle or somebody like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But to me, I like Jack Kamen better than Roy Crankle. But like those, okay. but like he, like that, <laughs> that 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 like those those artists are, I think, as good as. Maybe not as imaginative, but I mean, I think they had just as much potential. And but they, even though they didn't get out of those, what Stan got out of his artists and his thing, and those artists without Stan, so so to me, like his legacy as an editor and as a chief and as a spokesperson, I don't know. I think he did something unique and to be appreciated for all time. There, like just in terms of he's he's like the greatest comic book editor of all time. Sort of interesting, yeah. Rather than just look at him as the greatest sort of comic book writer of all time, he's probably one of the top ten writers of all time. But he's definitely the greatest editor of all time, which I think might be even more important. I completely agree with you, and I think that's an excellent point to make. No question. I mean, he was, yeah. I mean, he changed the language of comics to the point where DC was trying to figure out what Marvel was doing, 
And every time they couldn't get to the basic point of, no, they're just really well made. You know, and it was so funny as they would try and, you know, figure it out. And it, it took a really long time for them to catch up again with Marvel. I mean, those a lot of those late Silver Age comic books at DC, I love them. They're fascinating to me, but they're not the best comics. And meanwhile, Marvel was doing its, you know, some of its finest work. So, yeah, I, I hear you, man. And also working under the handicap of having to be distributed by DC's distributor <laughs> yeah. and, and only and only being able to put out literally eight comics a month. And that's why we got Tales of Suspense and, uh, you know, the other Journey into Mystery and stuff that would be a half Iron Man, half uh, Captain America or half Hulk and half Submariner and the things that they did back in the day. Pretty amazing, man. And to do it when you're 39, right? Like that's when Fantastic Four came out. Like, yep, yep. I know now. Just that's basically the age I am now. And to 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 redo your entire and, and to have, not to like start a new career and do it as best you can. To have written comics for 20 years and then hit your peak, you know? Sure. No, like, as a middle-aged man, it's very reassuring. Yes. It, truly, I, <laughs> I believe me. I feel the same way, and it's like. Yeah, you know, it's, you know, because again, I think younger people do think, oh, 40, man, I'll probably be, you know, done or whatever, or nothing new to happen. It's like, not if you don't want it to be, man. You can, you can reinvent yourself and, and find new challenges. And no, and again, to do it back then uh, was, was incredible. I agree with you. Cause you and you read, cause I, I mean, I've read a lot of, of um, New God stuff for Mr. Miracle, and it's brilliant. It is, it is the most, you're looking at the greatest mind in the history of comics is jack kirby um but he's not the greatest on his own he's not the greatest storyteller in the history of comics i agree no he's a clunky writer he was he's, a clunky yeah, writer he's a and and and, and, and dude if, if i was doing as many comics and work as i as he was doing um i would not uh i, I would not do as well as he did obviously i wouldn't do it, like i'd do one percent as well as he did <laughs> Uh, I love I love that volume of his war stories with the losers, the original losers. Oh, me too. He's so good. And it's it really that to me is like one of the most personal Kirby uh, productions that he ever made, and I just I find that incredibly fascinating. I was going to say earlier when you were talking about how you seek out old action comics from the '40s. When I go through the dollar bins, I'm always looking for DC war books and DC western books, and and also the weird stories as well. Not yes, as big of a horror fan. But I yeah, agree. I love I love all that stuff, and I, I truly like the the war books were so great. Really, through the end of the run, there was never a jump the shark moment in any of those books. GI combat and everything, oh, so good. Well, I'm Alex Toth obsessed these days. That's my new obsession. I can appreciate that so, torpedo. That's why I was going. Yeah, torpedoes. Yeah. Um, no, uh, Toth was Toth was incredible. Oh my god. I can't. He, he he's. I feel like he's almost like Orson Welles, where he was. He never could because he doesn't have a masterpiece. I mean, I guess, well, I guess Orson Welles has one masterpiece that's like all his, but um, Toth could never sort of settle down on one thing. He'd just do like an issue here and be like, here's how brilliant I am, but I'm mad at my editors. I'm never writing again. Then he'd come back two weeks later. Dude. I loved in uh, Alter Ego when he would correspond with Roy Thomas. Yeah. <laughs> and they would print them and they would print them. They would show you the envelope because he would have notes on the envelope and even a little, like, stupid sketch of a duck or something like that no he was fascinating and uh yeah i agree and i and truly i'm looking at one of my favorite uh, chris somni pieces that i have on my wall and his his toth influence i i really respect yeah somni's the best come on come do some batman somni damn it 
That would be cool. That would be that would be very very cool. Yeah, I always wonder what you know. I know he's taking a break. I'm like, all right, what are you going to do next, man? This is going to be interesting. So that's the problem with with artists when they start writing for themselves. It's a, it's a horrible plague. We should stop this from happening. <laughs> are you doing okay with the double shipping, or is it uh, maddening? Uh, it is maddening. Uh, I'm doing okay with it. Yeah, I we're. I'm perfectly balanced, but then I'm doing this Hollywood stuff now, which is knocking me off balance. Yes. Yeah, so, 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 so this, this, the thing that was proceeding before keeps proceeding, um, and and we'll see how that goes. Uh, can you give us any more detail on the Hollywood stuff beyond our, your Beverly Hills Hotel? Uh, yeah. So adventures? I. So I. So I'm doing this. I don't, I don't talk about this a lot, but I have my care. Because um, I'm sure this will all fall apart, so I'll get to tell you about it eventually, and I'll, I'll write a great graphic novel like Ben just did about it. That's right. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, so, yeah. So I, I, I'm writing a TV show with a big old movie star um, who's co-writing it with me, sort of, and uh, and also starring in it. And so we went out to Hollywood to and a, a big studio bought it. So now we're getting paid, which is always nice to get back full money. So we so a movie studio bought it. So then we went out to Hollywood to shop it around all the um, telebase, you know, all the streaming services and all those. And to, sure. And so we went. We did, we took a, we had a bunch of meetings where we sort of went for a week and pitched them, pitched the TV show to the executives at the TV stations was basically what happened. And it was surreal. <laughs> like you're sitting there and you're like, what you're like, you know, you're, you're in like the AMC lobby and the, the, the head of AMC is there. And you're just like looking at all the Mad Men Emmys they have and all the Breaking wow. Bad Emmys. And you're like, let me tell you what our TV you're like, how do you impress these people? Like, it's just, it's surreal. And then you do Netflix and Netflix is, it's like its own little monster. In a wonderful, sure. a wonderful monster, but um, the Netflix lobby was again full of more movie stars than I'd seen. Like every, like the stars of their shows were wandering around. And the Netflix lobby in LA, there's a there's a screen that's the size of a house. It's like some fancy, and it's like an L, L and, and it's always showing their shows, and it like surrounds this room. And then you go back into to pitch a TV show, you go back into they have like a series of offices. It's not like just one little office because so they get so many TV shows pitched them every single day of their lives. So there's like a series of pitch rooms, and each one is named after a different TV show that's successful on their network and painted with that sort of style that way. So we were in the Kimmy Schmidt room. Hilarious! <laughs> I love that show. And uh, and you know you go in there and you sit down with the movie star and you, you pitch your show and. Um, We'll see. What, what, what one network um, bought it in the room, so so at least someone bought it, um, and then so the other networks are, you know, there's like a bidding stuff for it. But again, this is Hollywood, and it will all fall apart. Just so you guys know, I know, and I'm aware that not you will never see any of the work I'm doing on this. Well, yeah, based on the conversations I had with Bendis and stuff, it's always like until I actually see it on a TV. I'll believe it when you know it's not it's not real until it, you actually finally see it on on a screen. And it yeah, is one hundred percent not real, not real at all. This is all just well, fantasy. Hey, no, but you know, I, I'm not surprised that the attention is there. Uh, you know, Sheriff of Babylon, I think, would make an incredible uh, streaming show or or cable show. Uh, it's and it truly, I and one of the things I got into with Brian Hill was how fascinating today's Hollywood is the options that are there, the ability to tell long form stories and also um, 
that kind of it's interesting the people that are complaining about where the movies are like Coppola saying well they don't want movies anymore they want carnival rides and Jodie Foster complaining earlier this year that I can't make the kind of movies I used to make anymore in Hollywood it's like well maybe not on the big screen but you can certainly take it to a Netflix or an Amazon Prime or a Hulu or the like and if you're willing to go from 20 million a movie to maybe 5 million for making this sorry if that's slumming but I think you'd be creatively satisfied the Kaminsky method that amazing show did you see it on Netflix? I haven't seen it. I don't have time to watch any of these. I'm so far behind not. on everything. Hey, Tom, I have three children, and all I'm doing is watching stupid old noirs. Yeah, but good for you, Tom, because truly that means you're working and generating stuff rather than you know dicking around watching things. But that Kaminsky method with Michael Douglas and Alan Arkin, it's great. It would have been a great independent movie and a great comedy, uh, independent comedy. But that said, it's even better because it's eight episodes – of around a half hour each. And it's it's this fantastic story. And you really get into much deeper into the characterizations of, of or, or the characters of these people. Um, more so than you would in even a two hour movie. Because it's obviously it's twice the time. But it's it's rich. It's interesting. It's funny. And it's like that's fine. The, the game has transferred from the big screen to these streaming services. But I think in a much more richer storytelling way. So I don't see it as a bad thing. And it, especially a guy like Coppola, as uh, Hill and I were pointing out to each other, there's one of the original Mavericks that changed the status quo of movie making in the 60s in the studio system. And for him to complain where motion pictures are today, it's like, wow. I, would, it's, I kept saying it's like they should bring, uh, like when Bendis brought the X-Men of the 60s to the modern era. And it's like, I would love for Maverick Francis Ford Coppola to hear what you're saying right now. And I have a feeling he'd slap you for saying, like, dude, did you forget who we were? Did you forget what we were doing? It's like, eh, that's fine. This is, you know, let, let things change. And, and, you know, it's interesting. I just got my, uh, my SAG screeners, or I got notification, I should say, of oh, what screeners I'm getting for SAG. And not only do we get uh, – it's, it's insane. I mean, truly took this new radio job, and the last thing I expected was suddenly to become a member of the Screen Actors Guild. But here I am. And it's great. I get to vote for the awards. Which is hilarious, That's awesome. and we get and we get the screen, the film screeners, and also the television screeners, and yeah, I was just going over the list, and it's funny because usually I'll uh, take them with me and uh, have like a, a, a DVD movie night or TV night with my cousins who don't have things like Netflix or didn't see one of the movies last year. It was Darkest Hour. My my cousin's a huge history buff, so we watched Gary Oldman playing, which is Winston Churchill, and he loved it. Um, I'm reading a Winston Churchill biography right now. Oh, fantastic, man. I'm a huge fan. No, it's a good – I think it's a great time in media, and truly it's – and I'm really happy for friends like you that have great creative ideas and that Hollywood is listening. So whatever happens, I'm sure it's not the last bunch of Hollywood meetings you will ever have. So, uh, I, But it's uh, – <laughs> I never know if it's – I love writing comics like with all my heart, and I never know if it's – um, worth it. <laughs> like you, you write a TV series, you work on that for, you know, two to three years of your life. It comes out, and I feel like people pay attention to it for a week, and then it kind of goes away. Like Sean Penn was in a TV series this year, nobody noticed. 
Like, That's right. It was that astronaut show or whatever. Yeah, some space. Yeah, what astronaut show? It's it's, it's on it's, Hulu. Yeah, yeah. You you can dedicate years of your life to a show. Whereas a comic book, I, I don't. You, I mean the the audience is smaller, but I think you can make something that lasts and makes an impact almost just as much. I feel like sometimes, or at least at least well, to me, it matters I, as much to me. You know. I hear what you're saying, and I do think that we're at a slightly oversaturation of all the streaming services, but I also think. That, um, you know, again, at least these people are getting the opportunity to make these shows. And, you know, just like any other kind of media, there's great shows. There's not such great shows. Yeah. Um, Jeff Daniels did that show where he was Richard Clark. Was, or no, he wasn't Richard Clark. He was another 9-11 intelligence That's specialist. right, yeah. Yeah, the uh, tower. Falling tower or something. Yeah, yeah falling some, tower or something. Yeah. yeah, I read the book back in my CIA days. I forget, yeah. There you go, man. Yeah, no, crazy stuff crazy stuff i uh i you know i i'd love to get into politics but i also don't want to keep you up so we can uh, you know know, i'm I'm fascinated by the current scene i mean i can't help it and looking with interest to see how things unfold Uh, i think Uh, unfold is the yeah unfold is how things break everything seems to be breaking apart yes yes you know it's it's, um it's gonna be wild it's gonna be wild yeah, 2019 is going to be a very interesting year politically. I agree. Very, very, very interesting times, unfortunately. Yes, unfortunately. I think that's the best the, way to put that. The blessing and the curse of interesting times, no question. So, Well, the good news is interesting comic books from uh, Tom King, and they continue to be. And I'm glad you're experimenting. I, I see it in the Superman story in Walmart. I, I you know The Batman stuff continues to fascinate, and uh, this, this rabbit hole that we're going down with Bruce is is pretty amazing and truly man i think about you know you had the tough assignment of following scott snyder it's it's very hard to follow scott snyder he's a very charismatic guy and he's he's a wonderful writer absolutely man no you're you're in this you're in the same position that brad was when he was following kevin smith on green arrow (laughs) and it was like oh look at this isn't this interesting but then times 50 or 100 uh when you're finished with your run but uh, yeah, I mean, it's no, I'm, uh, dude, I'm telling you, this is great. From from once a crowded sky, when I met you with Tom Fowler, to where you are now, it's been a pleasure watching the evolution of Tom King. Tom Fowler has to come back and do some Batman. That guy's a genius. That's a great idea. That's a wonderful. Actually, idea. no, I take that back. Tom Fowler needs to go and make Mad Magazine, Mad Magazine again. Tell him I said that. I have a little hope because Bill Morrison, the wonderful yes. guy that was with Who's- Matt Groening, Futurama, and 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 the like running mad magazine these days so i i fingers crossed that uh, mad will uh find its way uh, back to being uh, pertinent again I, who was i just talking to about mad and i bought dick DiBartolo's uh book about mad and about how uh gains would take you know these incredible trips with his staff all around the world yeah to visit the haiti guy that's the favorite yes yeah. the, the one subscriber of mad magazine in haiti that's can you imagine that being like at your house and Bill, Bill Gaines and all these Don Martin and all these people show up at your door. Sergio Aragonis. We should ask Sergio about that sometime. You should have Sergio on this. Oh, can I tell you a Stan? It's Lee? been forever. I, it's been forever. I know. I got to get Sergio back. Go on. Can I tell you a Stan Lee story that I didn't hear anyone telling? Oh, please, absolutely. No, of course. This isn't my story. I'm going to screw it up, but I'm going to tell it anyways. So I went to dinner with Joe Joe Giella. Do you know who that is? Yes, of course. A wonderful. Silver Age Inker? Yes, I Silver Age Inker, yes. Yeah. So so he's ninety one now. If you see him he starts he just started doing cons again 
it, it, um, you can see he was drawing Mary Worth for the last 30 years. Wow. Romance comic strip for people who don't know who Mary Worth is. Go on. Yeah, now drawn by June Brigman, who used to be the power back artist. Oh, my God. Yeah. I didn't realize that. That's amazing. Uh, so, um, so, so, uh, Joe, Joe's doing cons again. So I saw him and I was like, I got to take this guy out to dinner. So we started going out to dinner. So he's just, he's amazing, sharp as attack. And, uh, and I mean, this is the guy who just, he, he like, he inks the flash of both worlds cover. He inked part showcase four. I mean, like, he, like he's been, he's seen it all and done it all basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he, and he sells. So if you, if you see him at a con, bring 500 bucks, he sells the best sketches ever seen and this is buying a piece of history so buy a sketch from joe gl it's my wow 100 recommendation um i have one up on my wall and it is gorgeous because he, he he did a silver age green lantern with gil kane so i have that uh, oh that's fantastic oh my god that's wonderful so, Go on. so joe was telling me in so he was saying this is 1946 um so he's 16 or so I'm going to get the dates. I'm going to get everything about this story wrong, and he's going to tell me I told it wrong. But this is, I, <laughs> this is what I remember him telling me. I, I took with Joe, uh, Joe uh, and the Simonsons. We all went to dinner in, in Baltimore. Uh, the Simonsons are the best people in the world. So yes, indeed. Wonderful couple. I, yes. And it, Walt Simonson is my personal hero, and I want to be him when I grow up. Um, but uh, so so Joe, Joe, Joe was telling the story. He, he was um, – and this is the way he, he, he was. He was 16, and uh, he, he was an artist and had gotten like a, a few minor gigs. And he finally got a gig at uh, Atlas Timely, whatever pre Marvel was. Sure. And, and his dad had lost his job. And there, the way he described it, he said there were literal house payments coming in that weren't going to be made if he didn't draw this well. So he did all, he did all his time, time as, as a teenager, he drew this whole story up. Um, that the, the, and he, he went to Stanley. Stan gave him the story, gave him the script, and he he, he drew it up for Stan. Um, and he lived in Long Island. Took and took was tra- took the train to Manhattan. Got off the train to go give this stuff to Stan, and 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 looked behind him and realized he had left all the art on the train. Oh my God! And it was his first gig for it was, it was his first breakout gig. His literal the mortgage of his parents' house was flying away in a subway. Um. And he's just he just like he like you know collapsed to his knees and just like tears on his face. He's like I failed everyone, and he's like now I'm gonna have to go and tell this boss who is depending on me to get this book out that I fucked up the gig and I and I you know I can't make payment. And uh, and he went to Stan and um, so I guess Stan had come back from the war, so just just in that kind of era. And he and he fully expected Stan to be like. You know, you you ruin this comic, you're fired, you can never work for me. And Stan was like, all right, we're gonna solve this problem. I'm gonna call this guy. I'm gonna call this guy. We're gonna get in the room. We're gonna get we're gonna get this done tonight. And we're gonna get you paid. And wow, yeah. And so so rather than sort of berating him, Stan sort of saved him and made sure he could make that payment for his dad and could get his house, you know, and, and like got his whole career started. And it's like it's like That's a young. Beautiful. This is you know this is 20 years before or 15 years before the Fantastic Four. And he sort of saved little Joe, Joe Giello, who's still around. And that's amazing. That's just like a nice little, that's just like a nice little Stan being a mensch story from a long time. Absolutely, man, 100%. No, that's beautiful, man. And I'm sure, I don't, so get Joe on so he'll tell the actual correct version of that, not the hyperbole version, but that's what I... I'm going to I'm gonna have to see if I can uh, find contact info for Joe. I would love to have Joe on. Oh, I have, I, I have his email. I'll get it to you. Oh, that'd be great. You know, Joe Sinnott was at Terrificon in Connecticut, 
I'm going. He just, I'm going this I'm, year. I'm going this year. Terrific. You going to Terrificon? Yeah. Oh, I heard you talk about. It. I was jealous and I wanted to go. So I, I told my con agent we're doing. Tom, I swear to God, it's a great show, and Mitch is a terrific guy who runs the con, and we will have a blast. I'm telling you, and we will do wonderful panels. And I don't. I'll, I'll tell you off the air. Someone who they promised, you know, Mitch. Mitch emailed me and he said, "By the way, I just talked to Creator X, a classic silver and bronze age creator." And he's like, uh, "I told him that you'd be moderating his panel," and he said, "Okay." And I'm like, "Oh my god!" And I'm, I'm I was truly. And I mean, really, the, like I said, you heard the panels because you listen. I mean, even the, even the one, and then I didn't even host the one that Paul Kupperberg did. With yeah. Parker Freelander with Parker, about DC Romance. That was comics. amazing. That was a really Holy good shit. Howard Chaykin loved that panel. Howard's like Howard's like, I can't believe that was incredible. I'm like, yeah. So no, it's it truly it's it's very quickly became one of my absolute favorite cons. I I uh, and it's it very I'm I'm very grateful that Mitch Halleck, the, the guy who runs Terrificon, likes what I do because he had never heard of me. Franco vouched for me. <laughs> and then he and then he listened to a couple of word balloons. He's like, "Oh, you're perfect for this show. Um, you can do as many panels as you want." And like on Saturday, I did like four in a row, and I'm just like, "Oh my god, I feel like Cronkite on like one of the space missions, like not leaving, <laughs> not leaving the news desk for like eight hours or whatever." But it was great. Oh my god, and the Robin panel just cracked me up. And you had like you know Denny shitting on the idea, the concept of Robin. And Cecily called me after that, and he's like. I was on this panel. Everyone hated Robin, but me. It's true. I know Celia and I at the at the airport were drinking at the bar before our plane, and he's like, "You know, you had a bunch of little kids in there that love Robin, and it really wasn't cool that all these old men were hating on Robin." And I'm just like, "Yeah, there's a little eight year old kid in a Tim Drake outfit, but I like Robin." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was great. Jim Starlin and Roy Thomas. Talking about I just love total that, inside I watched baseball. That, yeah, and I watched the YouTube video you put up too. That was yeah, the cool. vi- the video is great. Yeah, it was uh, these other guys that made the video and everything. But I, oh my god, I was just thrilled to be in the room while these guys were telling these amazing stories. The Infinity Gauntlet panel. No, these truly, uh, he gets great men and women that you know both the modern era and the classic era. I'm so glad you're going because we'll have a blast, man. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. All right, King. I'll let you go. All right, thank uh, you, John. Thank you, uh, all the word balloons, and thank you to, especially to the Batman readers because we're going through. It's a huge story, and you're at the like middle of the second act when Batman's in a lot of trouble. So thank you for sticking with this, and and and, and I promise you the light is coming, but it's going to be pretty blinding. Pretty amazing stuff, man. No, what you're doing with Batman, and again, that Superman stuff for the Walmart comics is just fantastic and worth the trek. If a Walmart is not immediately accessible, uh, make it your mission to uh, track these issues down because Tom's telling a hell of a story there. Heroes in Crisis continues to uh, confound and entertain, and I think that's terrific as well. And, of course, if you didn't read Mr. Miracle, there's a nice fever dream waiting for you of 12 issues. <laughs> Trey's out in February. Oh, fantastic. Excellent. Is it going to be in two parts or is it the full, uh, no, full 12 issues? full 12 issues uh, with Norton. Norton opens the whole thing up. Uh, that's right. So, Excellent. Yeah. So, so the, the trade will have a little preamble that Mike Norton and, um, and Jordy Belair and I did together to sort of explain who the new gods are before it starts. Absolutely. Very cool. Thanks, Tom. Happy Christmas and uh, best of the family. No, yeah, happy Christmas. And, and, yeah. And, uh, and, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll check in in a couple uh, months when uh, things get interesting and uh, talk more of, uh, with Tom King and, uh, and another uh, Word Balloon uh, Marathon. Thank you, dude. Look forward to it.
Great fun, as always, with my buddy Tom King, uh, another guy that reached out while I was uh, stuck in the hospital for a month and uh, making sure I was okay. We had a great conversation uh, after uh, the one you just heard, but uh, terrific. There's, there's a few more episodes in the can that I'll be putting out uh, in the days and weeks ahead. Really great stuff. Chris Iliopoulos is coming up, as I said last week, uh, regarding my conversation with Brad Meltzer. We're going to get into uh, his and Brad's uh, upcoming PBS cartoon. That is based on the I Am books. I am uh, Sonia Sotomayor and I am Neil Armstrong among the uh, more recent uh, children's illustrated books that uh, Chris draws and Brad writes. Fun stuff and the PBS cartoon sounds great. And uh, Chris also is really uh, the, the big proponent, as you heard uh, in my conversation with Brad, to do I Am Neil Armstrong. So we certainly get into a little NASA jag with Chris. It's great re- catching up with Chris. And we talk about lettering and the work he does in general uh, at Marvel and with uh, Savage Dragon. So always a pleasure to talk to Chris Eliopoulos. We're also going to have a great conversation with Dennis Kitchen. And man, I am so excited to share this ki- uh, conversation with you. Dennis Kitchen of Kitchen Sink Press. Uh, the great underground uh, cartoonist. You might know him as the literary agent for Will Eisner. He was the caretaker of uh, Will's last uh, several uh, stories and also uh, is the keeper of the Eisner estate. And uh, he really gives us this amazing history of underground comics. You know, Robert Crumb, Harvey Pekar, uh, the whole industry. I mean, uh, you know, really, Dennis was there at the beginning. And uh, Kitchen Sink Press was a very important publisher. How did it work? How did they get their books to these uh, places? You know, they were sold at like drug paraphernalia stores, head shops. You know, what was going on there? And uh, how did he manage to, uh, you know, do this? And, you know, did he have to have other jobs? It's a great uh, inspirational story about creator-owned comics being done in the 60s and 70s and beyond. Uh, Really, I I can't tell you how excited I was about this conversation. And then when it happened, I was so thrilled. And uh, the only thing thing that's been keeping it from getting to you guys was me being stuck in the hospital for a month. So very excited. That's coming next week here on Word Balloon. Can't wait to share it with you. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Again, brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. If you enjoy Word Balloon, Word Balloon's free. It'll always be free. But if you want to help out the cause, you can do that by subscribing to Word Balloon via Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash wordballoon or click on the Patreon ad on the front page of wordballoon.com and that portal, that will get you to our Patreon portal. But uh, really, do you like Word Balloon? Do you think it's uh, worth the price of a comic a month? Do you think it's worth uh, a dollar a month even? If you do, if you're able to afford it, I know it's a tough time. Uh, but uh, the, the, the funds are greatly appreciated and help Word Balloon move forward and continue to evolve. Thank you very much, League of Word Balloon listeners. Word Balloon is also brought to you by Aftershock Comics, the industry's fastest-growing independent publishing company. They have declared this year, 2019, as the year of reading dangerously. Uh, they've got great stuff coming up this year, things like Stronghold with my buddy Phil Hester and the great Ryan Kelly, a new series by Ryan Parrott, Featuring Oberon of uh, Shakespearean legend. And of course, uh, well, just legend itself. Dark Red, a very cool vampire living in rural America story from Tim Seeley. And uh, other books too like Out of the Blue and Horde are coming later this year as well. Now in the weeks ahead, we'll be talking to some of these creators about their books from Aftershock. You don't have to wait though. Because there already are full story descriptions, preview pages, and the diamond codes on these books and more to order through your local shop at AftershockComics.com. Again, thanks for listening. Uh, More coming in just a few days. Have a great weekend. 
And uh, look for, looking forward to talking to you uh, next week with another new Word Balloon conversation. Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2019.